going to talk a little bit about your album, No More Tears. The, the biggest problem, of course, we had was getting a producer that wanted to produce my record. Mm. It, it was a total band effort, you know, it was a total collaboration. Mm. And I said in the press that this is the last Ozzy Osbourne album. And when I say that it's the last Ozzy Osbourne album, doesn't mean to say that I'm retiring. What that means is, is I'm not going to go out as a solo act anymore. Mm -hmm. I would either like to form a band or something, or, or do something else. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast, where we geek out about all things Ozzy and all things Ozzy related. I am Mr. Josh Crum, and he is Mr. Dan Drago. How are we doing, Dan? I am doing fantastic today, Josh. How are we doing? Doing good, man. Excited to discuss a little No More Tears. Right? Hey, the listeners spoke, and we listened. We are talking No More Tears. Deep dive today, baby. I can't wait. Definitely a crucial moment in Ozzy's career, right? It was a, kind of a sink or swim moment from a standpoint of pop culture. And I think without question, No More Tears swam. So it, definitely a, a crucial period to discuss. And I'm looking forward to getting into this one, man. Yeah, me too. I mean, I clearly still remember the day it came out. Just about every Ozzy album, I remember the day it came out and the first experience and the first listen that I ever had listening to the album. So those are always burned into my DNA and my brain. So, you know, it was a great experience when I think of this album from that first night. So I still have a great memory of listening to No More Tears for the first time, man. All right, Dan. So before we get into this week's topic, we got some seriously good feedback on the last episode, which was the shit list. Definitely seemed to catch a lot of attention. People love the negative. Let's just be honest. And I think the title caught people a little off guard and they were kind of like, oh, the shit list. Got a lot of feedback on that one, man. What was your opinion of some of the feedback we got on it? Yeah, it was awesome. And of course, shout out to Ryan because I think Ryan's artwork was fantastic that episode as well, as always. But I agree, people do like the negative. You know, I thought we handled that episode very classy. And I think we only had one person be like, I don't want to listen to you guys bash on Ozzy for an hour and a half. And it's like, well, whoa, dude, you know, we are the biggest Ozzy fans in the world. Not everything is perfect. I think it's great that you and I had the courage and the balls to come out and say, you know what? Maybe these aren't Ozzy's best songs. A lot of people had the same songs on their list. There were a couple of strange ones on there for sure. That kind of caught me mm -hmm. off guard. Uncle Steve. Yeah. Uncle Steve. I'm <laughs> Uncle still Steve. having nightmares Hold about it. Man. The, the hell? You're right. <laughs> and the one guy who said, you know, I don't want to listen to you shit on Ozzy for 90 minutes. We did kind of respond to him and let him know, like, hey, man, we're not shitting on Ozzy. Yeah. We're his biggest fans on earth. Like, it's all love. This list, and you'll understand once you listen to it. And he seemed to come around also. I don't know if he ever listened, but he did seem to understand at least what we were getting at later. So it's all good. And we even got a little feedback from Mr. Tim Palmer, who produced Down to Earth, who said, he, hey, I had to give this one a list. And he said, hilarious episode. I really enjoyed it which made me and Dan and Ryan feel like shit and Uncle Steve for, you know, kind of crapping on Black Illusion. But you know what? It is what it is. Thank you for listening again this time. Appreciate you listening. We're sorry. We still love the album. But yeah, it's so cool, though, man, to be like in a spot that we're doing this show because we enjoy doing it. We do it for ourselves more than anything else, like 110%. And to get feedback from people like Tim Palmer that they're listening to our show when we're discussing these guys, it's so freaking unbelievable, man. 
It really is. And we have to get Tim on the show because can you imagine the insight and the depth behind Down to Earth? Oh, you know, which is such an underrated, great record. And sorry, Tim, Black Illusion is not one of my favorites either, but it's a great record, man. And I think Tim did a wonderful job on it, did a lot of songwriting on it. So I'd love to hear some stories on that for sure. And eventually we got to do a deep dive on that record, right, Josh? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And Tim, the offer is still out there. He's been telling us for two years he's going to come on the show. So at some point, we'll get him on here. He's like, I just got to find the time to do it. To be fair to him, he still stays very busy doing. He done the last Duran Duran record. I think he'll be a board number one. Yeah. He's still working in the industry. He's still a very busy guy. So we, we totally get it. We look forward to getting him on here sometime. But uh, before we get on today's episode, Dan, I want to discuss with you the new Guns N' Roses track dropped last week called Perhaps. I'm digging this one. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, so this is the third track that they've released since Duff and Slash have joined the band. And as you educated me very clearly, Josh, that these are all recut tracks from the Chinese democracy era. Yeah, so all three tracks were recorded originally during Chinese democracy. They removed the bass. They removed some of the guitars. I imagine some of the guitars are left in there. And Slash and Duff went in and did their thing. I'd have to say, by far, this is my favorite of the three. This one sounds like it could have been on Chinese democracy which is a huge plus for me. Josh and I are huge Chinese democracy fans, and I think it's totally overlooked as a record. I absolutely think it's brilliant, and I think Perhaps is an excellent single. It really caught me off guard the first time I heard it. I was like, wow, now we're talking. This is the type of Guns N' Roses I like. What about you, Josh? 100%. And like like Dan said, I'm a big Chinese democracy fan also. But, you know, one thing about Chinese that people don't realize, and I didn't know this myself until a few months back, I was reading something up on it. These are not B-sides. So these tracks that's being re-recorded, they're not B-sides. Initially, Chinese democracy was going to be a three-album release. And they changed, I guess, when the reception didn't go over as well as they hoped, they decided against that and done an audible. So these are not necessarily B-sides as they are just tracks that were not released. And I think to go in and give them a fresh coat of paint, just to have something fresh out in the market, I don't have a problem with it. Especially you know the fact that you let Duff and Slash come in and put their own slot spin on it. The part that really shocks me is they also get a songwriting credit. That part really shocks me. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, they have songwriting credit on it. So that part really shocks me. But uh, I think it's cool, and it's definitely better than nothing. And, you know, I can tell you, I've had my band together 19 years. I go into the vault every now and then and and listen for riffs or cool ideas that maybe we passed on back then or just never – a lot of times it's just you never finished it. I got no problem with it at all. Of course, we'd all like for him to sit in a room and write some new shit together. But at the same time, these are Axel's songs. He loves these songs. He's wanted them released for 20 years, and this is his outlet now to do that. And what's wrong with it? I think you just took the words right out of my mouth. Obviously, Axel loves these songs. If Chinese Democracy was supposed to be a three-part record, I mean, that means we're talking maybe another 25 tracks that are still sitting out there. You know, it's two records worth. Maybe not 25. How about another 15 tracks? I believe they say there was like 33 songs cut. Okay. Yeah. And I know Chinese Democracy had a lot of tracks on it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think about 13, 14. I was going to say 13, 14. So that means that we have another 19 songs about, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that would be pretty amazing for them to do it because if these are demos and these were meant to be on a record, Axel obviously has put a lot of time and care. We all know how long that project took, that he wants to release these tracks. And hats off to Duff and Slash for being creative with him instead of putting their foot down and saying, I want to write something new. I think it's actually kind of cool that they say, you know, this is a good song, Axel. Let's make this into a modern Guns N' Roses song. Yeah. There's definitely a little something going on in that camp that's kind of like 
confusing to the old school Guns N' Roses fans. I mean, the fact that Slash and Duff are working on Chinese democracy tracks with Axel is mind blowing. But even more mind blowing is the fact that Axel was doing Slither from Velvet Revolver during the live shows with them. Like, if you would have told us this shit 20 years ago, 10 years ago, no one would have ever believed it. Like, no freaking way is Axel Rose going on stage and singing Slither with Slash and Duff. It just ain't happening. But he does every night. And I think there's been a definite come to Jesus moment between all those guys where they realize they're just better off with each other than without. I think they've all loosened up a little bit too, right? They're not taking themselves so seriously anymore. And I think back in the day when they broke up, they were the biggest rock band in the world. They would have survived Nirvana. They would have survived it all. But the truth of the matter is, is obviously chemical dependency was a big problem, but their egos were so out of control because they knew that they were basically the new ACDC, the new Zeppelin, you know, changing the face of music. Regardless if you like them or not, I'm not as big of a fan as Guns N' Roses as some people. I actually prefer their later material better, but I think they couldn't personally coexist with their egos so inflated. And now yeah. I think they come back, they're all wiser, older parents, and they're like, man, we're selling out everywhere. Let's enjoy this and enjoy the time we have together. Yeah, Axel's on stage on time, which was a huge deal. He was always you know three, three and a half hours late for gigs. He's on stage on time. Slash and Duff are paid. Axel owns the band name, but at the same time, he gives them songwriting credits for songs that were already written without him. I mean, there, there seems to be a, a nice coexistence going on there, man. It's, it's kind of nice to see. Yeah, it is nice to see. And I wish other bands would kind of follow suit a little bit because it's nice to see them coexist, move forward. I think you're spot on. The fact that Axel singing Slither, how cool is that, though? Yeah, That's a great amazing. song, man. Yeah. Revolver was killer. I yeah, saw so, them one time. I did, did see you? them once. Yeah, were they man, at Ozfest? They were. They yeah. did a half tour of Ozfest. Yeah. I didn't see them there. I saw them in Cincinnati, just a headline show. It was, I don't know if I ever got to see Scott Weiland also, who's one of my favorites. So that was yeah, great. I love Scott Weiland. Love yeah, it. good stuff. But, you know, people hate on the demo thing or the B-side thing. It's like a different kind of truth with Van Halen was a lot of refurbished riffs. And, you know, I just don't see the problem. It does not bother me the way it does some people. And the minute Guns N' Roses releases something, the naysayers and the haters cannot wait to say Chinese democracy B-side. Who gives a shit? It's new material. 98% of the listeners have never heard it or never knew it existed. Now it's out to the masses. Perhaps it's doing massive streaming numbers. I think it had 2 million views in like two fucking days or something. Wow. Three days. It was nuts. The video is very good too, by the way. The, this performance video, the candid shots of them hanging out and stuff. Yeah. It goes back to what we were saying a second ago. And I say kudos to them, man. Congratulations. And now we already know the next track is going to be the general because it's going to be the B-side of the perhaps single release. So in the general is another Chinese democracy era track, which from what I understand, I've never heard it, but they say is the Holy Grail. The fans that have heard it love this one. So it's something to look forward to. Hmm. The Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Do we have some Aussie Holy Grails, Josh? We have a lot of Aussie Holy Grails. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I digress. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, if you guys have not heard, perhaps just give it a chance, man. A good song is a good song, no matter when it was written or who was originally on it or what it was intended for. I'm just glad a song like that has seen the light of day. And we now get to enjoy it. So hats off to GNR for giving fans something that they should want, regardless. You know how metal fans are, man. I bitch all the time. We are a fickle fucking bunch. We are, man. Well, they want Slash to write the fucking wrist, but let's be real. He didn't write them an appetite for destruction either. They're already written before you got there then, too. So it well, everybody knows it was, it was, it, it anyway. was you know, um, yeah. It was Izzy Stradlin. Izzy, yeah. Izzy Stradlin <laughs> did all the writing. A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And then Duff came in. I think It's So Easy is mainly Duff's. Yeah. So, I mean, Slash doesn't do a lot of writing. 
Yeah. To be honest. Like, like I think the sweet child of mine riff was slashes, but and he hates yeah. it. He obviously didn't want to play. He didn't like it. So it's kind of funny how it works out. Right. But I wonder if that song was written without that riff. Like that was his to put on top of it. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like Maybe. Izzy yeah. and Duff, I think, came up with the chord structure. And then he came in, which is a classic all-time riff. I think Slash is awesome. I think his contributions too. for the Aussie stuff is great. I have a lot of friends that don't like Slash, and I think they're out of their mind. I think Slash is a great guitar player. But we all know majority of writing was Axel, Izzy, and Duff in the old Guns N' Roses. Yeah. All right, man. That's it. Are you ready to get on to today's topic? I am. We have no Aussie news this week. Yeah. So we are excited to dive deep into No More Tears. Absolutely. All right. No More Tears was released September 17th on a Tuesday, 1991. Speaking of Guns N' Roses, Josh, I think we had two other albums released that day. That we did. That would be Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. Definitely put the metalheads into a bit of a, a stranglehold of what to listen to first, didn't it? It did. Unfortunately, Guns N' Roses debuted at one and two on the Billboard charts that week, and Ozzy debuted at number seven, which was very respectable. But at that time, Guns N' Roses, it was the follow-up to Appetite for Destruction, for Christ's sake. I mean, there yeah. was just nothing that was going to compete with that. Nothing. No, not at all. Matter of fact, User Illusion 2 debuted at one, and User Illusion 1 debuted at two. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, I that is very interesting. That. So let me ask you this question. I'm kind of anxious to ask you this. And we're just talking Guns N' Roses right now, so it's kind of worked out perfectly, right? I became an Aussie fan just a few years later, maybe about a year later, around 92, 93. When you were there day one buying No More Tears, I know you listened to No More Tears first. I have no doubts about that. I don't even have to ask. But how long was it before you spun a Guns N' Roses track? Okay. Records? This is a great question. So I actually bought the album at midnight that Monday. So the local record stores back in the day would open up at midnight for big releases. So you would be able to go that night. You stay up all day, wait in line. And shockingly, there was a line to buy that night. And I'd never really experienced that before on a, mid on a midnight sale. So I bought it Monday, right to strike a midnight, wait in line. I only bought the Aussie album. So really? Yeah, let me explain why. I am such a freak. I am insane. I did not want. <laughs> I already to know what you're trying to say now. <laughs> I did not want it. I did not want to contribute for Guns N' Roses beating Ozzy in the charts, and I wanted Ozzy to beat them. So I refused to buy Guns N' Roses until the following week after the numbers were released. Oh, I get it. I get yeah. it. Okay. So, I knew this where you go with yeah. once you started. I was like, okay. I know <laughs> I'm crazy. So it, it was a week before you listened to Guns N' Roses officially. Yeah, it was. So I'll tell you an interesting story, though. So back in the day, and I think you probably experienced this a little bit with Osmosis, Josh, but back in the day before streaming, before all this shit, you would hear wind like the radio stations playing the new Ozzy song. Or I would call the radio station and be like, hey, are you guys going to stream a new Ozzy song soon? You know, I, you just have to pick mm -hmm. the phone and call them. So at the time, they were playing deep cuts from Use Your Illusion while they were playing No More Tears because that was the first single from No More Tears. So I'd have to live like in my room listening to the radio because I wanted to tape it off the radio so I can re-listen to it. And I heard Coma for the first time. When the riff started, I thought, ooh, this could be the new Ozzy song. So Coma yeah. will always stick in my brain as like one that got me a little bit, but then once No More Tears started, I knew right away, oh, here it is. The new yeah, Aussie there song. There it is. Yeah. yeah. But I did do the exact same thing for Perry Mason. This yeah. one, you know, one album later. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the last album we had to do it on because by Down to Earth, the internet started to 
you could start getting tracks off the internet, yeah. which is kind of crazy. But kind of funny how you had to live by your radio trying to be excited to hear the new Ozzy song. I did that all the way back from Bark at the Moon on, really. It was kind of crazy. So I bought it that night at midnight, brought it home, got home probably about 1230. And, you know, it's an hour, it was 11 songs. It's an hour record. At that time, that's a long record back then. Oh, yeah. Mo- you know, that was like my first experience going, wow, they packed a lot into this record. So I was up to like two in the morning listening to it because... Of course, you got to listen to some songs over and over and over again. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Back then, they were all like forty minutes, forty-five, eight tracks, you know, or yeah. so. And, and yeah, this was like fifty-six minutes, I think, something like that. Yeah, that definitely had a different. And then in the early two thousands, they got to where they were almost like seventy-five minutes. A lot of these records, and they they got way too long for the most part back then. Of course, seventy-five minutes of Ozzy, we all would love, but some of these yeah. other albums and bands, you kind of go, okay, yeah. this is a bit much. Yeah. I say it all the time. Outside of Ozzy and the Pixies or slash Frank Black. Every album should be nine to 10 songs, but yeah. those guys can release 30 songs. I wouldn't give a shit. It helps make them all more, more memorable. I think, you know, there's, there's not so many to try to learn. You can just, you have these eight tracks. They're more memorable that way. And I think it's kind of what made those albums such classics back in the day. Well, you're hundred percent spot on. Cause if you look at all the classic records that we listen to early Metallica's all the Sabbath, early Ozzy Motley Crue, it's all eight to 10 songs. Yeah. Shit. Master reality's got maybe six songs on it. So I agree. I think less was more back then. And I think people lost their way with that. Yeah, 100%. So what was your first experience on hearing No More Tears, Josh? So I came in actually on the No More Tears era as an Aussie fan. He had just released Live and Loud. And I remember seeing that and, and knowing he had retired. And it was kind of like, oh, this is over. Like I come in now and he just retired. And uh, I remember buying a Live and Loud uh, CD and just kind of jamming that over and over and stuff. But Randy Rose introduced me to Ozzy. I've mentioned that before on the show and it was tribute and so on and so forth. But then the time frame that was during the No More Tears time frame in reality. So did you hear the live versions of No More Tears off of Live and Loud before you heard the actual studio tracks? Oh, that would be close. I'm going to say probably yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, probably that's so. Because, pretty... yeah, I remember picking that up because it's, it's, a, you know, that's the great fucking set list from Live and Live. When you it's look amazing. Back at it, I yeah. it was really good. All the albums were represented, like you talk about all the time. It was just, so I remember definitely getting that. I remember early on buying the Don't Blame Me home video. Oh, and I loved amazing. that. Watched that over. And that Randy Rhodes section, I fucking wore that section out, man. Just over. Just see those clips of him playing live and stuff. Because we didn't have that back then, you know? No. So we could see it. My favorite part of the video, by the way, is when they transition from Sabbath to Ozzy and they play the uh, I Don't Want to Change the World riff. It's such a great, iconic part of the video, man. Because, yeah. you know, we're bigger Ozzy fans. We love Sabbath, of course, but solo Ozzy is our thing. And I just I still have such a clear vision of like just jaw dropping watching that video doing that yeah. and all that cool Randy footage. Yeah, oh, it was it was so fucking cool. And uh, and I remember I had a lot of behind the scenes in the studio of No More Tears, you know. And Ozzy would, you know, they always and a line he still says to this day: "You're only as good as your last album." And all yeah. those things he would talk about. And, it would, and they were cutting those tracks, and of course hanging out in the studio with Zach and and Randy Castillo wrote his Harley Davidson into the studio. He was always late, and they were always looking for Randy all the time, you know, and just kind of seeing their personalities of guys who would go on to be so iconic in my life and at the time i didn't quite know you know yeah that was my first introduction to him really and that's kind of eye-opening like just that one scene where ozzy's like you know sobriety fucking sucks and he is right plastered man plastered because i always knew obviously even back then that ozzy had issues but that was like the first time really seeing it and he is out of it i was like holy cow can you imagine it's yeah. crazy. But and you know all these years later dan's the same way anything in the studio behind the scenes that's what i 
fucking love, yeah. man. I love Favorite. this. Like, I look back now how great that footage is. And I knew then it was great, but like it's still that holds up. It's awesome footage to see them in the studio cutting this album. And, you know, Ozzy and Zach kind of getting on each other's ass a little bit about some things. Remember, they were the, there was that scene where they're on the patio and Ozzy and Zach are kind of like just getting at each other playfully, but at the same time, each other both a little pissed also about what. And I don't really remember what it was over now, but. Uh, I just always loved that shit. So yeah, that was kind of my introduction right there. So it's interesting. I just watched an interview with Ozzy back in 91, 92, and he's talking about Don't Blame Me. And he said he was very adamant that he was only going to do a home video if they could show a negative side to him and not just flowers and candy and rainbows. He wanted to make sure that both sides of Ozzy Osbourne were kind of represented. And even then, he's talking about how hard it was living with camera for 24 hours a day. That's how often they were living with him, filming all that video footage. Wow. And he said he was struggling with it. And he mentioned even the same thing back in 91, 92. You know, he couldn't even go to the bathroom without running into a camera. It was a, yeah. Just like talking about the Osbournes. It was kind yeah. of weird. How interesting is that? Yeah. And you know, I never thought about that and never really related that. But yeah, there's all that footage of them at his house in England. They were in England when they were filming that. And the kids were out back running around. Yeah. And Kelly had that doll that was like one of those garbage pail kids or whatever. It had like Ozzy's tattoos on it and shit. Yeah. You know, whatever all that was. And uh, doesn't like Jack like shank her or she shanks him one or something. You know, yeah. I never really thought about that. That was the Osbournes before the Osbournes are out there. 100% it really was. It's crazy. But I like that. I love Don't Blame Me. Osbournes. Yeah, Don't Blame Me is awesome. Yeah. Again, released September 17th, 1991. This is Ozzy Osbourne's sixth studio album. And I think it's kind of special because, you know, Randy had two. Jake had two. And now this is Zach's second album with Ozzy. That's always kind of stood out to me as special. And I don't know why, but at the time, we're going to discuss this in more detail. Ozzy had talked about wrapping it up even then. And we're going to talk into a little bit about why he was talking that way. But in my brain, I was thinking, well, this is Zach's second album to Ozzy. He's probably going to move on at this time because there was always a two album run, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's even talk, you know, again, go back to the Don't Blame Me video. You know, Zach's wanting to do his thing. And I mean, it was, it was a true space for everybody at that point to, to kind of separate and do their own thing. So ultimately, the album was produced by Dwayne Barron and John Purdell. Unfortunately, John Purdell died at a very, very early age. He passed away July 10th, 2003 at the age of 44. These guys were really young producing this record at the time, by the way. They were like in their young 30s, man. And he died of cancer, unfortunately. It took a while, Josh. And this is something a lot of people don't realize, that they demoed a lot of tracks on this record. And we're going to talk about the No More Tears demo session. They couldn't land on a producer. Nobody wanted them. What do you think of that? How hard is that to fathom? Ozzy's coming off of, you know, with the ultimate sin, he had his his highest chart-topping single, right, with the shot in the dark. It does well with No Rest of the Wicked. It's hard to imagine that he would be at a time and space where anyone wouldn't want to work with him. But at the same time, you had a different, you had the L.A. scene, you had the Sunset Strip. Ozzy, was he kind of viewed as a little bit uncool at that point? Was he a little bit, you know, the satanic thing over the top? I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't want to work with him, but it, and you know, some of those things where you always hear like these actors turn down that role and how they regretted it later on in life or whatever, these producers that turned down no more tears. I'm sure they look back and go, ah, shit, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. So everything I'm reading guys, a lot of producers turned this record down because they did not like the demos. Matter of fact, Epic records, which is Ozzy's record label did not like the demos at all. They thought it was too hair metal ish. And I kind of agree with them. I've been kind of saying that for a long time that 
This is Ozzy's second most hair metal record outside of the Ultimate Sin. And I think the record labels, even though Nirvana didn't release their record a week later, that came out literally a week after this album did. So they knew, though, the writing on the wall that the hair metal industry was dying. And I think they did not want Ozzy to go in this direction. Matter of fact, Rick Rubin came out and said, this just sounds like a bad Motley Crue record. It's pretty interesting. Right. I mean, it's a little harsh. I think it sounds like a great Motley Crue record, but, <laughs> but I don't think it's that far off, right? Right. Yeah. And again, like you said, we mentioned before the sleep production that it has and stuff now that it's said and done, you know, it definitely has uh, all of that. But yeah, it's just hard to imagine. And I, I know Ozzy's always mentioned in interviews in the past that Rick really wanted to have the Sabbath sound again and the heavier, doomier thing and stuff. And that's just not what Ozzy's ever wanted to do solo. But yeah, it's just hard to imagine these guys didn't want a part of it. Yeah, matter of fact, he told Zach specifically, Josh, you were spot on. Rick Rubin said, Zach, we just need the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath riff over and over and over again. And Zach said, I'm in, tell the boss. And yeah. Rick Rubin told Ozzy he should rewrite all of it. And Ozzy more or less told him, I love you, but fuck off. <laughs> like, we're but not rewriting except, this. <laughs> except for the song No More Tears. Rick Rubin wound up hearing the record and said, I'll come back and produce if we change direction and we keep no more tears and rewrite the whole record. And Ozzy was like, fuck you. I've been writing this record for two years. This record was two years in the making, man. Yeah, not happening. So they demoed almost the whole record. 13 songs were recorded for this record. All of them have been released. So unfortunately, there is no unreleased material from this era, which is a shame because I think this is honestly one of Ozzy's best bands to be quite frank, maybe his best band outside of the original four. Yeah. And maybe the last band he really had that he felt yeah. you comfortable writing with in the studio. The fact that, you know, we'll get into this later, but the fact that Randy Castillo has so many songwriting credits says a whole lot about how, what a group this was together. And Ozzy says it in interview after interview after interview. And I've watched a lot. This has been a group effort. This is a group. This has been a band effort. Everybody doesn't realize Ozzy gives credit all the time. And every interview I watched recently, he talks about how Geezer wrote all the lyrics, Bob wrote most of the lyrics, and how Lemmy wrote a lot of lyrics for this yeah. record. I don't know why people think Ozzy tries to claim that he's writing all of everything. He's never been that way, man. He's never. I mean, he will say goofy shit. This is a song I wrote while I was taking a dump or these little things sometimes. He never tries to discredit well, anyone. I do it, think that I just want you. The melody came to him while he was taking a dump. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. But when he says, yeah. or, or if he says Black Sabbath, this is the first song I ever wrote. He doesn't mean necessarily on his own. He just means, you know, yeah. I had a part in this. So one thing I was reading up on, Deep Dives, Dan and I do do a little research for these to make sure we get our facts straight and that we don't misremember things. And one quote that I've come upon that I just had to read at some point, and this seems like the perfect point to get to it. Bob Daisley on Ozzy's work ethic. I'm going to read this word for word. He would just get at it. Sometimes I would be in the studio and sometimes we would leave him alone with the producer. I wouldn't say it was hard to get a take out of him. He's a professional. He's not an idiot. He had his party times, but he had his work times also. Straight from Bob Daisley, the very man who now acts like Ozzy didn't do shit in the studio, tells you right here. Well, his book doesn't say that, though. I mean, his book is actually pretty amazing. And he gives Ozzy a lot of credit and for fact's sake. So let me tell you this. How about the producer, Dwayne Barron, on Ozzy's vocal skills? Same era, right? This is the No More Tears era. Some days Ozzy would have a rough vocal day, but they were so great. I mean, they were on. When Ozzy was on, he was on. Ozzy likes to double his vocals, too. He would be so on with his vocals that they were flanging. And Zach is just so amazing. What do you do? He's a great player. They're all amazing. Randy was amazing. It's kind of a blessing to work with talent like that. But Ozzy 
was amazing when he's doubling his vocals. I mean, honestly, I've been doing this for 20 or 30 years, and he is the only guy who could sing and his vocals were flanging when he is doubling. He's that great. It's a tough thing that people have with doubling. Never quite get it exactly the way they get it the first time. And he's just got an amazing knack for it. It's kind of scary. Yeah, and I guess back Billy Morrison, you know, when Ozzy came in and did Cut Gods, Billy's like, he cut it in like 15 fucking minutes. He walks in and cuts both tracks and it's like, peace, I'm out. And it's great. You know, it's such professional, man. It's the one thing you always get from people when they're not trying to slag on him is actually how professional he is when he hits that studio. The irony is his vocals sound incredible. Hats off to Dwayne Barron and John Perdell on this because ultimately I think this could be Ozzy's slickest production, right? I believe it is his slickest production. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. It's one of the best productions I've ever heard in my life. And it's from an era where that's what was necessary. This wasn't an era where you do a raw, grungy sound. This was an era right in 91 where you wanted slick production. It had to sound like it cost $3 million to make this record. Remember, people, too, this is before autotune, all that shit. This is all Ozzy. I mean, obviously, you have shit that you can put on your vocals to make it sound better, but that's his voice. There's no getting around that. Ozzy's singing all of this. And some of the lines on this record, and I mean melodies, they're high, man. Ozzy's voice is really good on this record. And the tone, again, you know, a song like No More Tears, it doesn't work the way it works without that tone. Yeah, agreed 1,000%. So, Real quick, we mentioned it in passing. Let's talk about the members who played on it. Obviously, we have Ozzy. This is Zach's second record. Randy Castillo's third record with Ozzy, meaning studio album people. So don't come at me with live records. So this is Randy's third studio, Ultimate Sin, Norris for the Wicked, and now No More Tears. John Sinclair plays keyboards. Also, his second record with Ozzy. And Bob Daisley is on bass where Mike Ionez is credited as musical inspiration or bass inspiration or something like that on the record. And he wrote the riff for No More Tears, that little opening bass line. But all of the bass lines are played by Bob Daisley. And let's talk a little bit about this, Josh. What a weird path on how we got to Bob Daisley on bass, right? Yeah, absolutely. And not on vocal help. You know, he didn't write any of the lyrics on this album. So, you know, I think Ozzy ultimately is just very comfortable with Bob Daisley. And I think when he went to the studio at any point in his career, he's just felt more comfortable having Bob over there. Mike Inez is obviously a great bass player. He's still around doing it every day with Allison Chains. He's a great guy, great player. But I think ultimately Bob just makes Ozzy comfortable. And I think knowing what he's going to get out of Bob Daisley is a lot. And what you're going to get is a Beatles-esque, Paul McCartney-style bass line that suits Ozzy's solo style. And it's, it just works perfectly. Why try to reinvent the wheel? So let's talk real quick about how we even got to Mike Ionez, uh before and Bob Daisley. Because at the end of the day, Deezer was in the band when they started writing this record. A lot of people don't even realize that. I think... There are two songs on the demos that it's actually Geezer playing. I do too. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, was gonna, I, was, I was hoping we would discuss this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Of course we are. This is, this is where you get the goods mm-hmm. people. Before we got Bob and, and Mike in the band, we had Geezer and Geezer told Ozzy and Ozzy even says in videos that he wanted to get back home because he was away from his kids. And so he left the Ozzy Osbourne band, but we all know he left and reformed Black Sabbath with Dio, Vinny Apice, and, and Tony, of course. And that's really what I believe the genesis of Geezer leaving was. So Geezer is in the very early stages of working on this record. So Geezer leaves and they're trying to find another bass player. And there is a guy that never gets any credit 
that is very instrumental in writing this record. And I even think he wrote a couple of bass lines and didn't get credit for it, but he seems to be cool with it. That is a guy by the name of Terry Nails. You ever heard of that guy? I have heard of him. Okay. Just from this story that you're getting ready to tell, but that's, <laughs> but I do know that name. Yes. He came in after geezer and was working with the band. Yeah. So he came in and was working with the band and he was introduced to the band from Randy Castillo. Him and Randy knew each other. Matter of fact, Terry Nails played with Tommy Two-Tone, which is kind of pretty cool back in the eighties, you know, eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine era stuff. But he was really good friends with Randy Castillo and Randy said, hey, Geezer just left. We need somebody to come in and help write the record. So he came in and started jamming with the band. Let me uh, tell you exactly what Terry Nails said. Needless to say, I was pretty stunned. I mean, after all, playing with Ozzy was probably one of the best gigs, if not the best gig in the country, as far as I was concerned. The next morning, Sharon Osbourne called me and told me where the studio was and asked me if I needed anything and thanked me for helping them out. She was so nice, it just blew me away. And that's how I got hooked up with Ozzy. So... He comes in and starts jamming with Ozzy. And one of the songs, he says, I just was playing this really heavy sort of groove when Randy came in and started playing this thuggish type of drum beat with me. Then Zach came in and started playing also, and the thing just sort of took off itself. Then I noticed Ozzy standing there with a little memo tape recorder in his hand recording what we were doing. He then walked up to the mic and started making up lyrics on the spot. Something about a Hellraiser. And that's how the song Hellraiser got started. Pretty interesting. And one of the things that I really noticed about this record more than any other Ozzy record. I mean, obviously we have Believer, but Believer is just a different vibe than these songs. There's a lot of groove in this stuff. And yeah. it's why I think it's one of Bob's best playing. But the baseline to Hellraiser, the baseline to Desire, the baseline to Zombie Stomp, they're all very unique and not typical Ozzy. I, that's a cool story. I'd never actually read that one. It's very neat. So, yeah. So he's just literally in a groove. And that's yeah, you know, that's the magic of being in a fucking room right there. And that goes back to we mentioned it earlier, but Randy Castillo getting some songwriting credits in this album. From what I gather, if you're in the room, these songs, like we said earlier, were written as a group and the group got credit. You know, unless you're Terry Nails. <laughs> not credit. Exactly. Well, there is a specific riff. That Randy Castillo mentions that he wrote that I will bring up in a little bit, which I thought was actually pretty cool because, you know, I'm trying to figure out who is helping Ozzy with the lyrics on the tracks that are credited to Ozzy, Randy and Zach. And we just yeah, don't have an answer. We don't so, have an answer. And we have a debate on our we online have a debate. chat with me and yeah. Dan Ryan. We we debate this one hard and we want to so, get everyone's opinion on that. later. Yeah. On, so, so we'll definitely get into that. But yeah. So the funny thing is, is Terry Nails actually blew up geezer's base he was using geezer's base when they were doing that because geezer hadn't quite officially left he had just told the guys and that they, they had to buy him all new gear and everything just kind of <laughs> here you go man thank you <laughs> see you later <laughs> right but what what a what a way man and he actually says he wasn't a big sabbath fan so they started to warm up with a sabbath song and he wasn't quite sure what to play because he was never really a big sabbath fan he was a bigger aussie fan so terry nails basically says that the producer of the demos one of the engineers wanted to bring in his own bass player and they tried that and it pissed Ozzy off. And then that's when they wound up meeting Mike. And then obviously they brought Bob in at the last minute. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people don't know this too. Another fun fact about no more tears, Bob Daisley wrote lyrics for all 13 songs on this record and none of them were accepted. Ouch. Yeah. That's probably why he makes the comments all the time. How it's got the shittiest lyrics of any Aussie record that's ever been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> right. He has said that. I'm not shitting on Bob. He has said that. And I'm like, come on now, Bob. 
So he had access to all of the tapes that, you know, obviously he didn't do not for, he didn't do it for no more tears, obviously, because that one was written so late, but all the other songs he definitely did. So yeah, Bob did do a lot of lyric writing for this record. And unfortunately it was not accepted. And then Ozzy went to Lemmy to do a lot of them. I think Lemmy has four or five co-writes on this record. Yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. So another interesting thing too, I want to cover is the album title. A lot of people don't realize No More Tears is not the original title. You know, No More Tears was written at such a late hour that it was so valued by the band that they decided to change the name of the album. But it definitely had two different album titles. The first one being No Dogs Allowed, right? Which I remember reading in the magazine. That's what the new Ozzy album is going to be called, which is a lyric from Party with the Animals, which didn't even make the record. But No Dogs Allowed was the original title. And then it got switched to Say Hello to Heaven, if you look at the cover, right, Josh? Yeah. It's clearly that was going to be the title. Say hello to one hundred percent. Ozzy's sitting there. He's he's got in that angelic tone, the, the sepia tone with the wings. Of course, you have to have wings, right? Because that's just you yes. know, part of the fucking cover. You got to have wings. But yeah, no question. Say hello to heaven was going to be it. And I'm going to go back again to "Don't Blame Me," where the guy suggests ladders to fire, and Ozzy seemed to you know really enjoy that idea. Also, it was something they discussed on there that doesn't get as much press, but I think it's more because "No Dogs Allowed" and "Say Hello to Heaven" were like literally going to be the album titles right. leading up to no more tears. Like you said, being cut the last minute. Can you imagine the excitement though? You're in the studio. This album's essentially finished. It's a good record, but then you write this fucking monster. Then, you know, everyone was just so damn psyched for this track. And it literally steals the show from day one. It's it the does. lead single. It's the album title. It's everything. It's all at once. Matter of fact though, and I'll get into it a little bit, but Ozzy was getting bored with the writing of it until he came up with the chorus. And then that's when everything clicked. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. But so cool, man. Yeah. That is such a classic, man. I mean, I can't believe they wrote No More Tears, one of the most iconic metal songs of all time in the 11th hour. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And like you said, leading up to that with the pre production, though, these songs were demoed to death. Like you said, I think Ozzy was tired of cutting them. I think he was tired of recording them. Uh, you know, if you listen to the demos, there's some moments you like better than the studio track and, and vice versa. But ultimately, it does usually play forward to benefit the song to record it listen to it for a little while and make the appropriate changes. But I can see where as a person working on the album and recording, especially as Ozzy gets irritable anyway with cutting tracks over and over and over, he's obviously made it clear throughout his career. He does not enjoy that. Uh, he got a little tired of cutting these tracks over and over for the, for the process of pre-production for sure. So the interesting thing is before we move on, do you think they did the right thing by calling the record no more tears or should it stayed say hello to heaven? I think they did the right thing. Listeners, let us know what you think. I remember at the time, 1991, Dan, reading Say Hello to Heaven as the new Ozzy record, thinking it was the greatest album title ever. Really? Yeah. But this is before Temple of the Dog had their song called Say Hello to Heaven. I just thought Say Hello to Heaven was so Ozzy at the time. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh, I could just, I had visions of what the album was going to be, you know, him maybe doing a Jesus Christ pose, you know, whatever it was yeah. going to be. Not really knowing at the time that he wanted to get away from that madman persona which is what we're right. going to talk about next. But 30 years later, 32 years later, No More Tears clearly is the right title for the record. Absolutely. Yeah. It just speaks for the entire era, right? I mean, you hear No More Tears, you know exactly the entire era speaks to that one track and that one title. So yeah, totally. So during this time, Ozzy was talking a lot about retiring. And obviously that's the first No More Tours tour that everybody shits on Ozzy for retiring back then. But people just like to shit without knowing facts. And here are the facts. There are two things that are going to contribute to that. Back in the day, if you're listening to 
interviews and you're paying attention, Ozzy says over and over, this is the end of Ozzy Osbourne. I want to join a band again. It's too much pressure. He even says something like, if my guitar player throws a television out the window, Ozzy Osbourne gets blamed. He doesn't want that anymore. He wants to be part of a group. And then he goes and says, this was a group effort, but I want to be a group. I don't want to be the Ozzy Osbourne band. And the other issue was he was tired of being pigeonholed into being the satanic thing. He thought he was writing great stuff, really starting with Close My Eyes Forever, but songs like Mom, I'm Coming Home, Amy was starting to demo around this time. He wanted to explore his Beatles influences, his softer side, and his songwriting ability and his melody ability without being pigeonholed into being this evil bastard. Yeah, he was tired, for sure. The John Collum suicide solution case, I think, wore on Ozzy big time. I think these days, it gets overlooked a little. This day and time, that would be so passed off. It would, it would be the news today, gone tomorrow. But back in that period... That was such a big story for him and such a huge part of his life and something that really weighed on his shoulders. And I think above all else, that really took its toll on the satanic look. Like you said, everything that he was so tired of, I think it all came to a head with that suicide solution case. It's interesting because I feel like Judas Priest gets more notoriety for their case, but Ozzy's case was before it. Yeah. Yeah, well before it. But it's kind of weird. And I can make an argument that I think that case for Judas Priest contributed to rob leaving the band for 10 plus years it really weighs on these guys all that shit they did not take it easy oh yeah for sure man i mean uh, just imagine that the way of the world believing you would want your you know your listeners to kill themselves or harm themselves in some weird way and you know ozzy and it's you know he's such a funny guy and it's, and it's not a, a laughing situation but in his way you know i wouldn't sell very many follow-up albums now would i which you know which is great it's, it's the best response he could have but uh it definitely wore on him man. it wore on him so hard and i think like you said he just wanted to shed that persona get back in the group Equal shares each. Everyone has their own part in it. And the weight of the world's not on him. It's on the group. So when people are talking about Ozzy retiring and unretiring and retiring and unretiring, you know, then Ozzy came out and said he was falsely diagnosed with MS back then, which also contributed. But I honestly believe in my heart when they were doing this whole No More Tours tour that it was because they were literally going to end Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy was just done with it. He wanted to join a band. And he never said, I'm done. He would say in these interviews, no, no, I, my, my career's not done. I'm just done playing Ozzy Osbourne. And, you know, not long after yeah, the No More Tours tour, you have X-Ray forming, right, with Steve Vine, Dean Castronovo, and, of course, his guy who he's so comfortable with, Bob Daisley. And I think that was the direction he wanted to go for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting timeline. And I think Ozzy knew that Zach was wanting to do his own thing at the time. I do not think Zach was going to be a part of that. I really think in Ozzy's brain, it was two with Randy, two with Jake, two with Zach. I'm moving on to do a new band. Again, going back to Don't Blame Me, and I referenced it a second ago, Ozzy says that. He says Zach's kind of doing his own Southern thing. I, I, Zach may have already been working on Pride and Glory a little bit on the side. I'm not totally sure. But Ozzy definitely references his Southern thing, and that he's kind of wanting to go that direction a little bit. So Ozzy saw the writing on the wall there with Zach, no doubt. So what do you think of the album cover? I know we talked about it, but what do you think? I think it's classy. It doesn't necessarily suit No More Tears. Like we said earlier, it's more Say Hello to Heaven when you look at it. But I love the sepia tone color on it. Of course, it has to have wings. But that's before all the album covers had wings. Yeah, so this is the so first bad one. when this one came out, right? Yeah. So let me say this in the most heterosexual way possible. I just always love the way his hair looked on the cover. His hair looks so good the way they have it cut and combed on the cover of No More Tears. I just always like that. Never really seen him wear it that way a whole lot. Uh, no, it's that in-between stage. Though. 
Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. I, I, I like the cover. And let me take it back. He obviously had wings on the cover of The Ultimate Sin as well. I don't kind of count that. You know, yeah, yeah. But I think it's a classy cover. You know, Ozzy was really trying hard to clean up his reputation. So he even has said countless times, he loved No Rest for the Wicked. It was, he thought it was a great record, but he felt like he was writing a record for his fans. No More Tears, he wanted to write for himself. He did not want to be doing all the demon devil stuff anymore. Well, look at it. The imagery of No Rest for the Wicked is complete Satanism. I mean, it yeah. just is, you know, everything. Great. Uh, Bloodbath in Paradise, right? I'm just, yeah. the, you know, all that stuff. But the album cover is so freaking cool. The Aussie wearing a crown of thorns and, you so know, awesome. it, yeah, yeah, it's iconic cover. But you are truly looking at a daylight and dark situation between that album cover and then No More Tears. Yeah. And it's a great cover. Here's the, the funny thing. So, one of the things about this record that is also different for Ozzy. And I don't know if you have ever really talked about this. This album is very introspective. Not many Ozzy songs are about Ozzy up until this point in his career. But out of the 11 songs on this record, shit, at least half of them are about Ozzy himself. Maybe even more, Josh. And I think that was a huge breakthrough for him. And that was a way of separating himself from being that crazy demon party guy. But then, of course, you got two songs that are totally the most evil songs of his career, lyric-wise, with Mr. Tinker Train and No More Tears. But if you take those two out, I think just about every other song is literally about Ozzy. I think you got more introspective lyrics like Road to Nowhere, like I Don't Want to Change the World, like Mama, I'm Coming Home. These are all songs that are pretty much like uncovering an onion of Ozzy that we never really saw before. Him missing Sharon while on the road. Him talking about all of these misfires in his career, not misfires, but you know, like all this tragedy he went through in his career and how it has affected him mentally, like a song called Road to Nowhere. I, I mean, these are deep lyrics. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned a minute ago was how you said this album was written more for him and not so much what the fans wanted. You know, and as you express that just now so eloquently, the one thing I thought about is, you know, again, kind of ballad heavy. You and I have said forever, we think Ozzy would have the right balance than anything. That's really what he enjoys doing. No Rest of the Wicked had zero, unless you want to count the hero a little bit, right? I don't think hero's a ballad at all. I don't don't either, but it is kind of a slower song. But, you know, No More Tears, you know, you got three or four bona fide classics that are ballads. So definitely being comfortable writing that kind of song. So, yeah, I see what you're trying to say there. Definitely. Yeah, definitely different vibe, you know, so... When you said that initially, I was just thinking like songs about himself and like how Hellraiser speaks about how he's the wild man and Desire speaks about having the wild, you know, that mentality. But I see what you're saying, the the difference of Ozzy on stage versus Ozzy at home. Exactly. We never really explored that before. You know, outside of maybe I don't know, you know, Diary of a Madman a little bit, but that's his madman, I'm crazy persona. How many introspective lyrics, you know, does Ozzy really have up until this point in his career? Yeah. But then yeah. they're kind of heavy-handed after that. And then they're heavy-handed after, after that. that yeah, for sure. which is exactly right. This is definitely a groundbreaking record. And you mentioned it to me uh, right before we went on air. This is Ozzy's second favorite record of his career. No question about it. It's the most songs he performs live outside of Blizzard of Oz. And it's the one that he enjoyed making the most outside of Blizzard of Oz. He holds this even in higher regard than Diary. I believe he does. And I think it goes back to Diary being such a rush. You know, they didn't really get to take time to work on it. And Ozzy always lets the production manifest in his head how he feels about the album's outcome right and this is the one behind blizzard of oz i think he's definitely the most comfortable with obviously charted seventh we mentioned that and it's the second highest selling record this album has gone quadruple platinum people that is a lot of units being sold 
Yeah. And well received across the, the world. I mean, it, it charted well in England. It charted well in the States. Uh, high charting singles. You know, you have massive tracks like My Mom Coming Home, which like you said a minute ago, or something he hadn't done in quite a while with that kind of ballad type track. And you're talking about coming out of an era where power ballads were the norm. Right. And and Ozzy refrained from that with the exception to extent, you know, with the Close My Eyes Forever ended up hitting that a little bit. But he did not want to put it on an Ozzy record. He used to come out and said it. He did not feel like he could put that song on an Ozzy record. He did. He flat gave it to her. So, I mean, yeah, there you go. But, yeah, when he released his Mama Coming Home, at this era, it was just the right time for it. And like I said, being able to let loose and let that happen is an accomplishment in itself. So, you ready to dig in on the tracks? I am. All right. So, the album opens with the creepy Mr. Tinker Train. Mr. Tinker Train was written by Ozzy. Zach Wilde and Randy Castillo. So Mr. Tinker Train has this very bizarre opening, right? It's got that very iconic opening of like children at a playground. Somebody disappears. Where is she? Where is she? You know, then it comes in with that iconic opening riff. I just learned how to play it on the guitar this week. It's like Ozzy goes ACDC, really. That song. It's so different for Ozzy, man. But it's definitely heavy lyrically. It is clearly about a Mr. Rogers type. And that's how Ozzy has described it. I've read interviews on it. That is also a pedophile. I'm surprised it didn't get more attention for how dark the song really is. Yeah, absolutely. And that opening guitar part comes in like a freaking freight train. It man. does. Like an absolute freight train. And you know, then you're in for it. But yeah, I think they said they saw a nightclub called Mr. Tinker Trains in Boston, Massachusetts, I believe it was. Yeah, and it was they just definitely all kind of joked about how what an odd name that was. Like, that's a weird name for a nightclub. And then it's like, it sounds like a, you know, something a pedophile would own or whatever. And this kind of went from there and, and wrote the story out. But yeah, definitely a classic for sure. And, and one that I think it's one of those songs that if you're a real Aussie fan, you fucking love this song. And if you don't know it, your poser. Yeah, I agree. And I've had some people lately tell me how much they dislike the song, and it always blows me away because I think it's incredible. So some of the great things about the song is I love Ozzy's tone in it. That low tone in the verses, it really catches the ambiance of the tune and the lyrics fucking perfectly, Josh. And I remember like the first time you heard it when it ends so abruptly, did you like think your fucking album broke? <laughs> Well, I, I didn't remember being I, like, what did my CD just skip? What is that? What is that? My first thought was, oh, the, he pulled a hole in the sky, you know, because hole in the sky does that. But <laughs> again, this is a brilliantly constructed song. It has got hooks for days. And I'm going to say that a lot on this record, guys. I think this is Ozzy's most hook driven record out of anything in his career. More hooks than anything. And vocally, Ozzy just kills the hooks on this one. Sometimes I love the hooks. Sometimes it's a little too syrupy for me. But the one great thing about this is the pre-chorus, right? I got a one-way ticket to take you to the other side. I love that melody, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the hooks on this album in general, though, like you said, but this is an album where I feel like they were trying to write singles. I think Definitely. they wanted to write big, massive hits on this record. And, you know, that's what you do. You get just what you go to, right? Your best melodies and hooks and trying and trying to do that. So I think they did do that. They succeeded in that. And that's that's why it feels that way. But yeah, got a one way ticket to take you to the other side. It's come along and don't be shy. But Ozzy's delirious. They call me mad. That fucking energy in that is just so like I can't hear it without wanting to stomp my foot. This like the foot and the knee start going, man. Dun, 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 dun. Just the groove of that chorus is so freaking contagious, man. I love it. So there is something I could do without in this song, and that 
is the damn snaps. I don't know why, but I don't like the snaps after the first course. Everything kind of mellows down and it's, you know, they're playing the riff and, you know, you hear the snaps. What do you think? Why does that bother you? I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's not Ozzy. There's going to be a couple of things on this record where I'm like, why do they have this? I have never given those snaps any thought whatsoever. Ever. No. I've never, never even went, how weird there's a snap. I've never given it thought. And now I fucking will. Yes. All because of you. That's I'm right. I'm hating it because of you. Yeah. What is this, a Frank Sinatra song? I mean, that, that is kind of odd. You, you would think you would just do like a hi hat or something. Yeah, like, right. That would have right? been so much cooler. But why the snaps? Who came up with that idea? Uh, it just, it and, and, who's playing, and who's doing the snap? Oh, not That's another good question. Yeah. yeah. It's probably fucking John Prudell or Dwayne Barron. <laughs> so let me just read this verse for you real quick. This is dark. Close the curtains and turn out the lights. Beneath my wing, it's going to be all right. A little secret just for you and me. I've got the kind of toys you've never seen. Man-made and a bit obscene. Little angel, come and sit upon my knee. Woo! Right. That's some dark shit, dude. That's some dark (laughs) shit. It takes balls to release a song like that, period. Yeah, and well, obviously Ozzy's talking about the danger of watching out for people like this. Of course. It's a horror story. You know, when you watch Jason, you know, you're not like, oh, yeah, let's, I hope we run into Jason. You know, it's like this is to warn people, hey, just because there's somebody like Mr. Rogers or somebody like that, don't just automatically assume they don't have this darker side to them. Right. And real quick, I just want to say this because it's on my brain. The snapping part right after that, though, Zach's little fucking guitar leak. That's perfection it is great that's such a cool lead to the next verse man but yeah those are some creepy ass lyrics man and the question we're going to get into later is who pinned that stuff yeah well we can talk about it right now so this one i think is pretty ozzy handed it is so out there man i don't think zach writes lyrics for ozzy this is the big question do you guys think zach is penning lyrics for ozzy i do not when it says ozzy randy and zach i think it's mostly ozzy and randy writing the lyrics and I think it's mostly Ozzy and Zach writing the lyrics. So we've really debated this one between us. I can't imagine, you know, Zach's obviously a good lyricist. Now, this would be way before Zach showed that he could write lyrics, right? We, we found it out later with Look of Shadows and how great he can really write lyrics. I have a hard time believing that Zach just idly stood by while Ozzy's over there pinning all kinds of stuff and Zach's not pitching in and, and giving lyrical ideas and content and helping write these songs. I, I kind of picture it to be more like Ozzy and Andrew Watt writing together. I, that's what I think Ozzy and Zach did then. I do think Zach helped pin the lyrics. But that said, these are some, like you said, there's some deep, dark shit. It's hard to picture either one of them really writing it. Yeah, good point. I do think Zach would give a line here. Huh? You know, how about this line, Oz? You know, something like that. But I don't see Zach sitting down writing pen to paper for, at this time of his career. I just yeah. don't. If ever we can just get him on the show, we could ask Right? <laughs> that would be fantastic. So real quick, before we move on to the next song, my favorite part of the song, obviously we got a great bridge, you know, where it all slows down. And, you know, he says that, can you say Mr. Tinker Train? And then that brilliant guitar solo comes in, right? How amazing is that? It's almost as amazing as that amazing outro, because <laughs> the outro <laughs> is the best part of the song. And I know so, that's where you're getting ready to go with No, that. no, no, no. My favorite no? part of the song is actually the third verse where it's just the bass and drums and oh, Ozzy yeah. comes in 
no use crying because you can't go back. Yeah. Oh, that part gives me chills. You can't run. Yeah, that's it, man. Run. That's so fucking good. It's the Girl, best part. It's, right now, actually, it's uh, amazing. It's man. so good. But again, the outro, we love those outros, though, man. They and that's do. a good one, also. It is great. Yeah. And I like how not only does the music change, the vocals change at the end, it's the chorus, but it's not quite the chorus. Right. And he goes so high. Mr. Tinker Train. I love how he yeah. just builds it up and then kind of goes back down and kind of switches right down yeah. at the end of it. And the call me, call yeah. me going on. It's excellent. Da, da, da. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? My CD just break. What is that? So <laughs> as much as we love Mr. Tinker Train, and I do love Mr. Tinker Train, we'll rank these songs later. Track two starts off, and that is I Don't Want to Change the World, written by Ozzy, Zach Wilde, Randy Castillo, and Lemmy Kilmister from Motorhead, his first writing credit on the record. I want to argue, before we get into the song, as much as I love Mr. Tinker Train, this might have been the better album opener. Uh, they opened a few shows with this song, right? Yeah. So I could see this as an album opener. I think they wanted to do the soundbite opening, which was kind of a thing starting around that era that people were really doing that a lot and stuff with the kids and playing the, in the playground and stuff. So I would say that's why they went with Mr. Tinker Train, but... I don't want to change the world would 100% be a solid opener. Just a big leading with the sliding fucking, we call it greasy slide down, you know, going to the main riff. It would be a solid opener for sure. But for two reasons, one, that's a great one too. But a lyrically, it's so reminiscent of, I don't know. And he is trying to go back to that blizzard of Oz vibe. And I think this song, I don't know. I don't want to change the world. I could see them both There's as like similar. album openers. They're, they're both out of the key of A, which we both saw about and that, Ozzy's stellar with all the time. That he's so good in that key. And that was my next point. It's in the key of A. <laughs> You're a genius. And it's got, <laughs> it's got that chugging on it, though. You know, just like I don't know. Very, You know damn well this is very patterned after I don't know. Yeah, they're very similar, but without being a ripoff at all. Not at all. But, but very similar for sure. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes wonder if this wouldn't have been the better opener. And yeah, this is a song that Zach's told the cool story recently. We'll kind of revive it right here where he was in there just goofing off and playing this riff and singing dumb shit to it and just making up lyrics. And Ozzy comes in and says, hey, save that. I got ideas for that. And it's been mentioned a few times before. Ozzy had this amazing ear. Randy Rose would tell those stories like how he'd be in there practicing or warming up and Ozzy would hear this part or that part. And it would be a small snippet and Ozzy would hear it and say, I got a melody for that. Like, save that. He has a great ear, Dan. I mean, no question. And his accent there just fucking off, playing da 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 Dan sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever, you know. And Zach, the joke is Ozzy turned into a Grammy winner. He won a Grammy for it, right? Yeah. But again, it goes back to that amazing ability to hear things. And the same way he could pick amazing musicians to have in the band, he has an ear for talent. He could always pick the stuff out. Yeah, that's a great story. I'm so glad you shared it because it's such an iconic song. Now, I'm not going to lie. A lot of No More Tears is overexposure for me. Played too much in concert. I listened to it too much when it came out. This is definitely like Metallica's Black Album for me or Appetite for Destruction. This is the one for me. I I, I struggle with No More Tears sometimes as a full record just because of the oversaturation. And this is one of the songs. But at the end of the day, really analyzing it this week, I love this song. It's a great fucking song. (laughs) It is a great song. I actually think it's one of Zach's best riffs. What it's a great a killer riff, man. riff. Yeah, absolutely. Holy killer shit. Riff. And lyrically, it goes back to exactly what you were saying earlier about where Ozzy was in his in his headspace at that point. I don't want to change the world, but I don't want the world to change me. Like, just quit judging me. I'm not going to judge you. Just let me live my life. And that's really definitely where he was at at that point. So real quick, part two of something I don't like about the song, and I wish it wasn't in there. He's going to ruin all these fucking songs. I'm not. Like, I'm not. <sighs> this one's obvious, folks. 
I can't stand the ugh. I hate it. Oh, what's wrong I with hate that? it. It's not if he, Ozzy. If he That's something that, Matthew Sweet should be doing oh, or Michael God. Sweet or some bullshit. Ozzy uh, does th- it a lot. No, no. Ozzy laughs. If the this album is, opened with this, it would open with a uh. No, I, I wish they wouldn't have the uh. <laughs> but I don't like it. You really like that? Ugh. It don't I bother don't, me at all. No more than near the other Snaps don't either, but you know, no, that never I, I always kind of thought it was cool, actually. Oh, I don't like the uh, I think it's such a great riff, and then you got Ozzy like, Ugh! it just doesn't make sense to me, man. Ozzy <laughs> does that sometimes, though, where it's like, come on, man, like there's a part in 11 Silver where I'm just like, God, why did you add that to the song? But yeah, here's one that I just I'm not a big fan of. The, uh, it definitely doesn't have to have it, I'll give you that. Yeah, so let's talk about the song and let's talk a little bit about the demo. This one was demoed. So there are two demo sessions. So they released the No More Tears demo session CD, which I have in my hand right now. You have a copy of it, right, Zach? Zach. Right, Josh? I wish. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's not as good a player as I am. Oh, yeah, exactly. <sighs> Ridiculous. I actually do not have an actual copy of that. I have a copy copy of that. Oh, I have the original. I found yeah. it used at a record store. It's even signed to a Roxana with Ozzy and Zach Wild signatures on it. What a cool find that is. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, absolutely. It's, pretty, it's actually Roxanne, but Ozzy wrote Roxana. I love it. But uh, authentic for sure. So this came out, though, in 92. I don't understand why they released this after the album. I never understood that. This should have came out before the record. It's strange to release it at all. It is strange honest, to release it for, at all. for an official release. It's, it's, it's awkward as hell. I and mean, it's cool, but that's like, so strange. Or it went to radio stations. But they were never going to play this. But they're not going to play the, the demos. No. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Strange. So I don't want to change the world. Lyrics penned by Lemmy. One of my favorite lyrics, probably maybe outside of Road to Nowhere. This lyric is my favorite lyric on the whole record. And you know what I'm going to say? Tell me I'm a sinner. I've got yeah. news for you. I spoke to God this morning and he don't like you. Lemmy knocked a home run here, man. That is a great line. And again, this song is about religious people judging Ozzy. At this time, he was heavily scrutinized by the religious crew. And he's basically saying, kind of like with Miracle Man too, you know, you got your own secrets, your own backyard. Why don't you not change my life and I won't change yours? Absolutely. Brilliant. Add to that, but that, as soon as you said that, like the, the world already knew that's the line you were going to say. That just always stuck out so much. And especially when you're a young 13, 14 year old kid. And this is so fucking cool, man. You know, like, screw you guys, man. So what do you think of the chorus in the song? I actually like it. I, I think it's it's sing alongable. It's something you can picture a crowd kind of singing along with you on and got a good hook to it. Easy to remember. I like simple sometimes. I think, you know, Ozzy does a good job of not over sophisticating lyrics and choruses sometimes. I dig the chorus on this one. I think it's kind of the whole hook of the song. Well, the, the hook of the song for me is the riff. Like you said earlier, I think the riff is just so fucking catchy. But I think this is a arena rock song without being a cheesy arena rock song. Yeah, this one, the chorus is borderline cheesy for me. It's right there. It's got a side of cheese for me, but it works in this song for me. And I agree that the hook is fantastic. What really stands out for me is this song has two bridges. And that's something that I absolutely love. It has that real chunky, heavy bridge, which is, you know, not talked about a lot because it's the other bridge is so iconic. But, you know, that whole, you know, it ain't easy, you know, it ain't fair. That is a great mm-hmm. riff behind that, too. Oh, yeah. That was one of those things when I was like just starting to learn how to play guitar. And I can learn that little, you know, because it's so simple to play, but such a cool little riff in you know, that chug. 
I remember being so excited to jam that one, you know, because like, they actually sounded like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This record is tuned down to E flat too, by the way. So Ozzy's back to half step flat. And we always think this is, for me, his best tuning. Blizzard was in standard. Diary was half step flat. But I think this half step flat just works great for Ozzy on the guitars. So yeah, and then he has that great Zach solo. And then it comes off with, you know, that second bridge, which is probably the highlight of the song for me. Don't tell me stories because yesterday's glories have gone away so far away. That part to me definitely makes the song and it's definitely my favorite part of the song. Yeah. And such an improvement from the demo. I knew we were going to talk about that. We've discussed it before. The demo version that says, I don't want to change the world. I don't want the world to change me on repeat. It was Zach playing some like steel guitar behind it or something. It's basically the same riff, the riff of the chorus, but he's kind of finger picking it, right? Not only does Ozzy change the melody here, Zach writes a new part. That part is not on the demo. And it's funny. It it shows you how much the bridge can totally change the entire song. Because honestly, the demo version gets tired with that lyric over and over. It's just a little bit beat down, a little bit repetitive. But when they change the bridge and add that part, it's just fucking gorgeous. They also start the song with the chorus on the demo before he gets into the Remember, It's just Ozzy. Oh, yeah. It's Ozzy solo. I don't want to change the world. They beat it into your head. So I'm glad they remove it. This is one song. I think every song, I'm going to just say it now, is way better on the record than the demo. Not one song is better on the demo. Percent agree. I agree with that. And I typically like demos. I think you typically like demos better also, don't you? But I think this album was just, I don't know. I, I, I think they took the time to get it right. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next up, we have the iconic Mama, I'm Coming Home, written by Ozzy, Zach Wilde, and Lemmy Kilmister. I mean, what can we say about Mama, I'm Coming Home? It is one of Ozzy's most iconic tracks. It is a classic power ballad. Again, Ozzy came up with the concept. It's something he used to say to Sharon. So the song's written about Sharon while he was on the road. Mama, I'm coming home. And then he decided, hey, let's write a song around it. So he had that line. And then Lemmy crafted the lyrics. And Lemmy... Really did a great track here because you would never know this was not written by Ozzy. And you just wouldn't think Lemmy would be the guy either. And yes, this is so pretty and and the lyrics are just so gorgeous. You just wouldn't think Lemmy, the guy from Motorhead, would be the one that could pin that stuff. But and Lemmy apparently wrote a couple different versions of this track and let them choose the ones they preferred and wrote them as, according to Ozzy within yeah, about a couple hours span. He's right? yeah. <laughs> like, he wrote them in no time. And, and there they are. Ozzy's like, I've had this song for years and you, know, this is an, an idea and a melody and a line that Ozzy had had since like the ultimate sin era. Yeah. And it had just kind of hung through there. And Dan, that kind of harkens back to what you said earlier. Maybe he was afraid to move forward with a track like this back then. Yeah. Maybe this was finally the time that he was going to do it, whether anyone liked it or not. But he finally decided to move forward with this one. And like you said, becomes one of his top five most iconic songs of all time. And a song that you hear on TV shows to this day, you hear it on radio ads to this day, commercials on television, whatever. You hear the song all the time. You know, you watch military tributes where they're reuniting with their family members. They play Mom, I'm Coming Home in the back. And I, I love that it's morphed into something that larger than life. You know, a song that you may know the song and not even know the artist potentially. Carrie Underwood just covered it, which is big. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, yeah. you know, people like that, a whole different generation. You know, not only is she country, but she's young. She's like early well, mid-20s, late-20s or something. So you're talking about not only a crossover from a standpoint of genre, but from a standpoint of age groups and so on and so forth also. So here's an interesting fact. When Zach sat down to write this song with Ozzy, Zach wrote it on the piano. I wish. Now that is what needs to be released. 
That's not, what not, we need not, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> not the demo that they released. How about the writing session of Zach writing it on the piano with Ozzy singing it? For Can you imagine? sure. I've played it on the piano and try to imagine what it would be like when Zach wrote it on the piano. And I am not the piano player Zach is. So I'm sure it sounds nothing like what his version would. But in my little head, I'm like, this is about what it would be like right here. Because I play it, you know, this, the same chords and such. Just same chord progression and kind of try to imagine what that would be like. And I love Zach's subtle steel guitar moments in this one like especially on the bridge you know very subtle that's perfection that's not overdoing it uh again another great bridge you know and this is an instrumental bridge but it's beautiful yeah it's beautiful and one of zach's best solos of his career understated no question but it is absolutely gorgeous it could be my favorite zach wilde solo this one or no more tears these yeah. are the two best solos of his career and again one of the least overplayed solos. Like he completely serves the song. Every note serves the song. Yeah. I would also say that this song is pretty much perfection. I don't say that very often. And I don't remember where I ranked my mom coming home on the ballads list. That episode, it should be higher Probably because should be higher. this is such an overlooked song because of, of oversaturation. But I'll tell you this folks, I tear up a lot when I see Ozzy live. And it's always during my mom coming home. This yeah. song just moves me. And I love that he plays it live because he sounds great on it. And there was the one video right before he got fail and got hurt on the number of tours Two tour where he sang it twice because he said, you all deserve a better version of this. He felt like he didn't do a good performance on that song live that night. And he cut it, done it twice that same night, which is kind of neat. The beautiful way that they built the track, starting off the acoustic guitar, then the, you know, the, the electrics kick in for the chorus. And the song builds perfectly takes a bit of a downstep for the for the bridge like we talked about them back to the slamming guitar solo which was just perfection and all the way down to the outro like it's just fucking perfection there's this one of those songs there's really nothing you could ever do to improve it i agree so this is ozzy's only top 40 single by the way off of an ozzy osbourne record is that mind-blowing that is crazy and i'm not talking about the rock tracks or nothing i'm talking about the official Billboard top 100 singles. This is the only top 40 track. Unreal. Pretty mine. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? When this song came out, Josh, some songs are just like this. And quite frankly, this might be Ozzy's last. Maybe Perry Mason. I knew it was a classic in the time it was released. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like in yeah. 1991, 92, this was already a classic. You you heard it and within a week was like, man, this song's going to be an all-time classic Ozzy song. Like, yeah, and it probably wasn't I, even a single yet at that point. Right. You just knew. I know we love Under the Graveyard and all these other songs, and, and they're great. And I'm not I'm not comparing the songs. But what I'm telling you, Mom, I'm Coming Home is on another level from a classic standpoint. You know, this is up there with Crazy Train. Yeah, as Ozzy's sure. most iconic song. And you knew that back in 91, 92, that this was a special fucking song. I wasn't a fan at that era just yet, but I can see where you would get that vibe for sure. Yeah, and this was all over MTV. You know, Ozzy had a lot of love for No More Tears on MTV. He was on Headbangers Ball a ton. He was on Headbangers Ball UK a ton. And they played his videos a lot. They had five singles from this record. And he would almost always bring Zach with him when he a was lot. on there. A yeah. lot of times. So let me ask you, speaking of MTV, which video do you prefer? Do you prefer the Sapia tone with the doves and the... And that one, or do you prefer the one that's got the floating through space, like the uh, the sky version, yeah. where one shot going right the whole time with things floating, you know, pigs and Randy's guitar and what all, all flying through there is a weird video. No question. I like the sepia toned one better. Yeah. What about me you? Too. 
It matches the album, it matches the cover. It's, it matches everything. It matches the song. The song. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the doves, of course. But yeah, the other one just has such random shit just, just floating through it. It's kind of fun to watch it. Whose idea but, was that with this song? Because that was the first video. That was the first. That was the original. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of folks, said, shit, we can't do this. <laughs> Josh, why don't you go into detail a little bit about the fact people might not realize there's two videos for the song. So initially the video was, it's like one camera shot and it just kind of pans. It's like you're looking at a window almost and you see the sky in the background and things are just floating by. And a lot of it's things through Ozzy's life. You'll see Ozzy on fire at times. You'll see at one point, my favorite part was always the, there was a polka dot flying V went flying yeah. through there. You would just see random things, and it really made no coherent sense, though, whatsoever. There was moments you see Ozzy just walking through, and they have like five Ozzy's in a row just walking, carrying a pig or some shit, or just random things. It would work for a video like I Just Want You or something where you have these random shots. Right. But for Mama, I'm Coming Home, it just made absolutely no sense. And no doubt someone spent a lot of money making this video. I only to go back and have to make another video. And the second time they got it right, when they put the tone of the cover, Ozzy with the doves, and he's looking down, got that sepia tone look to it. The skylight's kind of coming through, the sun shining through to the dark and stuff. And definitely a much more uh, better feel for the second release, for sure, on that one. And that ended up becoming, of course, the one that everyone knows and loves. The other one, you hardly ever see it. So what do you think of the demo of Mama on Coming Home? I really like the demo of Mama on Coming Home. I think the uh, studio track is better, like we talked about a second ago. I think they got them all right. But I do love Ozzy's voice on the demo. He just has a little bit more angst I hear in his voice a little bit on the demo version. I think out of all the demos, this is the closest to the original track. Not yeah. the original, you know what I mean? To the, the to studio the fin- cut. Yeah, the finished product. I don't think there's a lot of difference. I prefer the studio cut, but this the, the demo is very, very good. So the demo was recorded in December of 1991 with an engineer by the name of Tom Fletcher at Devonshire Studios. So that was cut the same day as I Don't Want to Change the World. Mama, I'm Coming Home, and also this next song, which is Desire. I believe Terry Nails are on these three tracks, personally, but we don't know. I cannot find it anywhere. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? A hundred percent. I wonder where he's at these days, if a person could ever get a hold of that guy. That's kind yeah. of interviews Dan and I actually like to do. Like We would love that stuff, like to dig in with that guy. That would be amazing. Yeah, we got this yeah. guy. We've been trying to get him to come on, and he says like, he just doesn't want to do it. He feels like he would be boring. But I'll just tell you guys, one of our listeners suggested him, and he used to be Jakey e. Lee's guitar tech. And I've been trying to get him to come on for like a month, and he's like, ah, I would be boring. And I'm like, no, that's what we love. We want to hear these behind-the-scenes <laughs> stories of what it was like. Terry Ness could tell us some awesome stories, man. All right, so up next is Desire. I love how Ozzy always says that live. Written by Ozzy, Zach Wilde. Randy Castillo again, and Let Me Kill Mister. So this is Lemmy's third song in a row already, and we're on track four, and Randy Castillo has writing credit for three tracks already. So he is all over this record. Matter of fact, he was all over No Rest for the Wicked, too. The guy added a lot to Ozzy, and I'm really bummed he left the band after this because I do think this was a great, great fit and a great band. All right, Josh, why don't you start us off, talk a little bit about Desire, the vibe of it, the feel, what you like and don't like about it. I just always love the energy of it. I remember being younger and hearing it probably, like I said, on live and loud for the first time, but just the energy. It's the same old desire, crazy train. When he always sang that line as a little boy, I always pictured that's him saying he's tired of crazy train. 
<laughs> like he's tired of singing it. You know, it's a simple desire. Like I'm tired of this song. Now as an adult, I don't really know what he means by that, but I don't think he means he's tired of singing Crazy Train. But I just always love the energy, man. The energy is there. The, the groove is there. Dun, 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 I just, I just always have grooved with this one. I'm with you, Randy Castillo. I think I told you before, he's my Aussie drummer of all time. He's who I picture behind the kit for Aussie. Just always will. I love that he's so invested in writing with this band also. And like you said earlier, it's a group effort. But another groovy, hard rock, rocking song. I, I like this one. What really stands out for me on this is the rhythm section. I think Bob and Randy are killer on this track. You know, I know Zach is driving everything, but if you're really listening to the bass and drums, they are locked tight on this song. They sound absolutely incredible. So this song is clearly about Ozzy always wanting to be a rock and roll star. Again, introspective, right? Just like my mom coming home was, and I don't want to change the world was. Lyrics like, I always knew what I wanted to be. I knew for sure. Just very much about how no one's going to take away him being a rock and roll star and how he loves getting on the stage and just being a singer, what he always wanted to be. So again, lyrics penned by Lemmy. And I wonder what the crazy train lyric really means, to be honest. It's the same old desire, crazy train, crazy train. I think it's kind of an an homage to crazy train more than anything. Burning life fire. Don't you ever take my name in vain? I don't even know what that means either, to be honest. Yeah. Sometimes I think Ozzy throws lyrics together that rhyme and sound good, but don't have death. death well, I think by saying, don't you take my name in vain means just don't talk shit about me. Yeah, but what does that have I to do with being a rock star, yeah. I guess? I guess he's trying well, to. But going back to that whole thing of shedding that persona that he had that he was so tired yeah. of. like don't. Yeah, I like you know. it. Yeah. Definitely. But, you know, and the one thing, too, and Zach does this a lot on this record in general. Zach's little mama's, th- those bends right before the chorus, man. Bending those fucking notes, man. Right before I was going to say right. some old desire, uh, Zach has so many little nuances throughout No More Tears that it's you, you couldn't count them all on both hands. And, you know, really, that's what made Randy Rhodes great. When you listen to Randy's albums, and he would always add these little feels throughout the songs that you only hear at the one time. And the next time he'll play a different feel. Zach Wilde does some of that on No More Tears. And these little moments in between the chorus and the bridge or wherever – is where I think Zach really stood out in this album. Another musical bridge. I think this is actually quite common for the Zach era. And this is a lot of No Rest for the Wicked. A lot of musical bridges that Ozzy doesn't sing. And now we're on track four and another song. You know, My Mom Coming Home doesn't have a bridge. Desire doesn't have a bridge. Mr. Tinker Train and obviously I Don't Want to Change the World does. But I actually... Don't know if I really like all the little voices they do. Matter of fact, it sounds the exact same thing as the demo. I don't think they even recut those. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. It reminds me of, you know, now you see it, now you don't with the Baj Baj. I don't know why. Yeah. I always kind of go back to that. But it's kind of a filler bridge. But I do love the solo coming out of it with that high. Oh, Ken. Oh, you know, great. it's so good. And that's Zach, right? Saying that. I've always assumed it was. I don't know who the heck it is. But I are think, they I think referencing Zach. Street Fighter? I don't know what they're saying there. I always thought it was Zach saying hi ho silver. Is what I always thought he said. Listeners, let us know. I I think he's referencing Street Fighter too. You know the hi ho again. You know uh, hi ho silver. Maybe funny. I'm fucking crazy. I don't know, but it, it is a ripping solo and a really fun one to play. By the way, I think it's one of his best. Can you play that? Uh, not like Zach, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I do my version of it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, which is so, which is me saying uh, I just changed that many, give it my own style, you know, which means I can't play it like Zach does. So I just think the chorus is a little cheesy and syrupy on this one. It's not for me as much as some of the other songs on this record. 
I like the verses much better. It's a driving track, but I definitely like that. You know, I always knew what I wanted to be part where it's just really driving and heavy. Yeah. But for some reason that it's the same old desire part. It's just okay. The one thing I think this album really gets overlooked though, is the tempos and how much of a rocking record this is. You know, when I think of rocking, I always think of no offense, cause I don't mean the word rock, but the ultimate sin and no rest right. for the wicked. Those are the two records that I think of when I think of an Aussie record that like moves, it's got yeah. a lot of heavy, fast, up-tempo, fun stuff, even more so than Blizzard. But I think No More Tears is right there. I think you're right. And another thing that gets overlooked also that we talk about, but like Zach's guitar tone, he sounds oh, so freaking good on the this best. His, his guitar is the best it ever sounded and ever has ever sounded since. It sounds so good and crisp and clear. And, you know, we talk about Ozzy sounding so good tuned down to E-flat. Well, so does Zach as a plane. You know, Black Label tunes down to C. They tune really low. And you tuned up to E flat, those highs and those those leads really just pop out of there, man. He sounds so good. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because we should give a shout out to Michael Wagner, who actually mixed this record. Dwayne Barron and John Prudeau produced it, but Michael Wagner, they actually asked Michael Wagner after, can you produce this record? And he said, I can't do better than what's there, but they let him mix the record. And yeah. he did a smack up job. Matter of fact, Michael Wagner was in the running to do the follow-up because they liked his mix so well. That's and great. then Dwayne Barron and John Pardell were brought in again. That you know, This period of Ozzy is so wishy-washy of who he was working with and who he wasn't working with. Yeah. But like you said about the mix, no one's ever complained about the mix of this record. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Perfect. Yeah, it's great. I think it's Ozzy's best mix of his whole career. Yeah. I, and like I, I said hats before, most slick production too in general. Yeah. Just, it's very well produced and, and it sounds great. If I was going to say I want – like if somebody said, give me a record that you want your record to sound like – I'd pull out No More Tears. That's how good of a record this is. If you said, tell me, give me something you want Dan's record to sound like, I'd pull out my dick. <laughs> what the fuck? This is the <laughs> <laughs> dick and dick again. I, I apologize. I did pull out my dick in front when, of you. When you said pull out. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That's funny. So Desire, again, it's a very simple, straightforward song from an arrangement standpoint. Nothing too crazy about it. Weird bridge, great guitar solo, great drive. I always thought it was kind of unusual that the song fades, but you could still hear the ending. What is that? Why, it is kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> why did they do that? I've never really thought about that, but you could hear it end. Yeah, that's kind of strange as hell. And, uh, like, yeah. why do that? <laughs> I don't understand why. It's like, I you know, it comes know. back with that great intro and you're like fading, fading, and then you hear it. Boom, and it ends. I'm like, why? Yeah, you, why that, do that? Uh, and yeah. you know, fading out in general is something people don't do anymore. Like you very, very rarely hear a song fade out these days. You know? But yeah, it's especially when you hear it end like that. It's kind of so strange. It yeah, weird. there's no reason for that. So that, that's my that's my <laughs> third what the fuck moment on this record. We got we got the snaps, the uh, and the weird fade on desire. Those are some things I'm a little bit thrown off by. Okay, next up, I think we have one of Ozzy's also most iconic songs. It's probably not in the same range as Mama I'm Coming Home and Crazy Train talking about from like as well known. They're on another level. Those are those two Aussie songs that will probably never get there again. But No More Tears is that, as iconic as it gets with the metalheads, right? No question. Street cred. Street cred. So this song written in the 11th hour at the very end, songwriting credit by Ozzy, Zach Wilde, Randy Castillo, Michael Ionez, and John her Dell. Why don't you start us off here, Josh? The light in the window. Ozzy's tone, man. Like I said earlier, his tone on the 
this song is just so perfect. That cynical, scary tone sets everything you want for this track up perfectly. The lyrics mostly by John Prudell, from what I understand. And this song is the perfect Ozzy Osbourne song, man. It's it's like Black Sabbath's War Pigs. This is the one for Ozzy that if you were trying to construct in your head what you want an Ozzy track to sound like, it's No More Tears. So when Andrew Watts says Ozzy and Sharon told him for Patient Number 9, they want something more in, along the lines of No More Tears. Like, no doubt this is what they had in mind and because it's No More Tears. But no, this type of song just suits Ozzy so perfectly. And it was the perfect song at the perfect time. Constructed so well together and you know when they first went in to record it dan i know you're getting ready to say this probably it wasn't even finished yet they started recording the track before it was even done i mean how fucking crazy can you imagine going to the studio especially with the kind of dollar that these people pay to record and the track isn't even finished yet yeah but they had no 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 midsection at all ozzy and zach wrote the bridge in the studio like you talked about so yeah, yeah it was just to have pieces and bits here and there yeah and Zach goes in and throws down some beautiful piano and that crushing solo, which is, which is even to guitar world standards is like a top 10, top 20 all time solo from. You don't think that's Hard John Rock. Sinclair playing that? That is Zach Wilde. He says it. In Interesting. You heard it here first. Yes. Okay. So Randy Castillo talks about the writing of the song in particular. And Randy Castillo talks about this. The, the song No More Tears came together as if by magic. Mike Inez was just jamming a bass riff at rehearsal. And then Zach from out of nowhere started laying down this monster of a riff that was just like, wow. So John stands to put down a keyboard pattern and this thing is growing and we're all getting excited because, you know, when you got a song that's special, I don't think we got it nailed that day, but we got straight back to it. Funny thing was, when we tried to recapture that spark in the studio, we hit a brick wall. I had put the chorus in, but the song had kind of stalled. So Randy Castillo wrote the music. For the chorus of No More Tears. How very cool is that? That is very interesting. Ozzy had actually got bored of the whole thing and was having a sleep in the control room, but suddenly he gets up and just starts singing this incredible vocal. Straight away, all the magic came pouring back and the song is finished. Just like that. Ozzy is great at that kind of thing. He has a real gut instinct for what it takes to make something work. Sound familiar? Sounds extremely familiar. Yeah. And going back to what I was saying a minute ago, I have mine pulled up right here. This is from Zach Wilde himself. Mike started off with the bass, and we all just kind of joined in. Randy started playing drums, and then John put the keyboard intro on then. And then I put my slide thing on. It all happened at once. And then we stopped playing, and Mike kept playing that thing with Ozzy. A kind of question and answer type thing, where Ozzy was sing a line, and then I did the riff. Here we go, then. The piano bit in the middle, I ended up writing when we were down at A&M. We didn't have that. We didn't have anything for the middle section. So I came up with that, and we stuck it in there, and then I wrote the guitar solo section, and then we were all done, man. Straight from Zach Wilde. So that is Zach on the midsection of No More Tears. Interesting. Dwayne Barron says that Ozzy and Zach wrote the midsection together. Ozzy was probably down there with him, giving ideas and influence, and I like this, don't like that. I always thought Ozzy should have sang over that. I know it's such an iconic song, but that is such a great piano part for Ozzy to sing over. I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, we couldn't change anything. Right. We couldn't change this song. No, 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 no. Of course not. But that, it's such a Beatles part. That is yeah. that is straight out of the Beatles. Hats off to Zach. You know, I'm sure Ozzy contributed with ideas as well. But, you know, No More Tears is as iconic as iconic gets. We'll talk about lyrics here in a second, what we think it's about, what we know it's about. But let's talk about the guitar solo since we're on the middle section of the song. 
I think it's not only the best solo on the record, it's Zach Wilde's best solo of his career. And I, I've heard people say it's too, that's like, oh, it's because it's his most popular. No, the solo is incredible. Maybe my top five solo of all time. Honestly, that's no, I great. Can, I can get with you on that. Yeah, it's incredible. Hats off to Zach. I just absolutely am blown away what he came up with at the spur of the moment. I mean, the guy is a god. Really, this experience, more than ever, Zach does not get the credit he deserves right. as a guitar player. Zach Wilde is the best guitar player, in my humble opinion, since Randy Rhodes has passed away. Yeah, I mean, no, and and I'm, I I agree with you on that. Zach's absolutely amazing. And you know, one thing about guitar playing, you know, there's different types of players, right? You have your guys, you have your David Gilmore's, the feel guys, right? Oh, they got so much feeling in. And then you have your Shredders, you have your Satriani's, you know, people like that. Steve Vai. No More Tears guitar solo gives you the best of both worlds. The feel and touch of the opening section of that solo is so perfect. And you know, on this show, we talk a lot about Ozzy's melodies and what great melodies Ozzy writes. You write melodies with your guitar solos also, if they're good ones. Randy Rhodes wrote melodies with his guitar solos. And so does Zach Wilde. And so does Zach Wilde. And the melody he writes for the No More Tears guitar solo, starting off that nice, it always reminded me of like United Airlines or something like a commercial where you picture a plane in the sky. <laughs> I don't know why. I just always kind of saw that. But And then transitioning into that shredding solo to go back into the bass riff again to, for the intro of the song. And once you hear that that was kind of placed in there, like at the last minute, you kind of can hear it in a way because the song stops, goes to that midsection, then stops and goes back into the, the main riff again. You can kind of hear that once you know it, but it's so perfectly made. And that guitar solo is fucking blazing at the end of it. And I just love the transition from softer to heavier throughout the solo. It's so iconic. Here's something very interesting. The only song on the record, maybe the only song of Zach Wilde's career. Ready for this? It is a single tracked guitar. He yeah. did not double the guitar. And it kills him to this day. And it kills him to this day. But I think it adds to the charm of the song. I yeah. do. I, I never say that because I'm a big double track guy. I think just having that single track with that groove, it really lets the bass and drums breathe a little bit more. And yeah. I think having that single guitar part is it's great production. He claims they were having a, a John Madden tournament on PlayStation or Nintendo or something, and they didn't want to get up and record him. But I, I think Dwayne Barron and John Perdue knew exactly what they were doing. I think they did. Now, the, the Madden football tournaments was definitely a thing with Zach Wilde back in the day. I got a friend. I'm going to give him a shout out. I call him the cable man. And I mean, he used to share his name's Darren Juan. And we used to always share like Randy Rhodes shit together. And Darren was a cable guy in Hollywood. And he, the cable at Zach's house one time and he had the, he kept the slip where Zach signed the slip, the, the receipt. And he signed it. Coach Madden, Madden football league, Zach wild on the That's slip. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, so when I read that from Zach, it definitely harkens me back to those old conversations with Darren about that. But no, it's, it was the perfect way to, like you said, it lets the entire room breathe as you're listening to that, to that cut. Whereas the, the double guitars probably would have been too powerful. So I do know that John Purdell did write the lyrics to this song. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about the lyrics. Ozzy came up with No More Tears, no question. He came up with all the melodies, and he came up with that lyric. So I just read an interview before we get into the lyrics. This is the first one where Ozzy's talking about what No More Tears is about. And <laughs> this always makes me cringe sometimes because sometimes Ozzy is so far off in left field about what the song <laughs> is really about. So this one, he said, oh, I wrote No More Tears about somebody talking to somebody from the other side saying, don't cry for me no more. 
which is probably what his original intention was when he wrote the lyric No More Tears. But it's not at all what the song is about. The song is about a serial killer, right? It it couldn't be much further. It's like the exact opposite end of that. You know, that's interesting. I've never read that from Ozzy. That's that's an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, probably just where he began with it and John Perdetta just went somewhere else with it. And yet, there's so many times we talk about that. We're trying to break down these lyrics, and especially when you have different lyricists contributing, it doesn't always have to really have one topic. Two people can come from a different a different perspective on it. A serial killer, for sure. So this is one of Ozzy's longest solo songs that he's ever recorded. At the time, it was his longest. Let's talk a little bit about the lyrics. I won't go through them all, but even though the song does deserve it, a couple of ones that really tell you that we are talking about a serial killer, right? You know, a lovey of tears to learn she'll never be coming back. The man in the dark will bring another attack. It's very clear about somebody stalking somebody and murdering them. You know, that's for verse one. I like the simplicity of the chorus. It's very repetitive, but I wouldn't change it for one minute. It's nope. so iconic. Another day passes as the night closes in. The red light goes on to say it's time to begin. To me, I kind of always think about the red light district or something to that effect. Like he's out there stalking maybe a prostitute or the red light goes on, right? That, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I always thought that lyric was about. I see a man around the corner waiting. Can he see me? I close my eyes and wait to hear the sound of someone screaming here. What a great delivery. Ozzy's and, delivery on this track is amazing. Yeah. His delivery is what brings the whole thing home. No yeah. question about it. But, you know, you mentioned the prostitute in the red light district. There was a time period during the early 2000s where when he would play the song live, it would show that kind of imagery on the video boards. Oh, okay. Like a prostitute. It was kind of cartoonish, like drawings, and they would show him literally like, like getting it on first and then stuff like that. So I, I do think that's a lot. The classic line is always, the light in the window is a crack in the sky. Oh, yeah, for sure. That will always be the, the line of the song that just instant, yeah. fucking iconic. I was just talking serial killer part, but oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, that is the most iconic line. So the one line I really want to talk about is this one, because I got to say, I love the bye-bye goodbye. At, you know, that is very Beatles, man. That, you know, on that last verse, it is right out of the Beatles playbook. Uh, so I think No More Tears Ozzy is just, he's already dabbled in it. Songs like So Tired, Tonight. But I think by No More Tears, he was like, fuck it. I- I'm unleashing my inner Beatle. And even on a track as heavy as No More Tears, He's bringing out that bye bye, you know, so beatily for sure. This is the line, right? So now that it's over, can't we just say goodbye? I'd like to move on and make the most of the night. Maybe a kiss before I leave you this way. Your lips are so cold. I don't know what else to say. Somebody's tried to tell me the song's about necrophilia and it's not. It's about a serial killer basically telling his victim, I'm done with you. I'm moving on to the next, which was what all this whole song is about. And he's basically, you know, maybe a kiss before I leave you this way. He's just moving on to the next victim. It, get your mind out of the gutter, people. That's all yeah. it is. It's not about necrophilia. And even the line at the beginning, a stairway to darkness in the blink of an eye. How quick it happens, right? You hear one minute, gone the next. It's, yeah, you know. love it. I think John Perdell hit a home run with the lyrics. One of my favorite sets of Aussie lyrics, to be honest. I don't know if a lot of people even realize it's about a serial killer because they're just singing along, but... Pretty ironic. It's funny. In that same interview, somebody said Johnson and Johnson, their slogan is no more tears. And Ozzy goes, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe I should get a, an endorsement. An deal endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. So Five more beers. All right. So next up, we have S-I-N, which is what I'm going to call the song. It is now officially, it appears to be called Won't Be Coming Home. It looks like they changed the title on the later versions. But for me, the song will always be S-I-N which stands for Josh 
Shadows in the Night. That's right. And Ozzy did not want to have it sound like a Frank Sinatra song. That was his quote exactly. And he wanted, so he just changed it to S-I-N. But that is the hook of the song. The song is written by Ozzy, Zach Wilde, and Randy Castillo. So this one was originally demoed in 1990, a little earlier. This is one of the two tracks that I think Geezer's playing on the demo. And it was engineered by a gentleman by the name of George Tutko at Cherokee Studios. And it was demoed May of 1990. I mean, that's, that's over early, two years before this album came out. So S.I.N. and the other song is Time After Time, demoed at the same time, were probably the first two tracks really written for this record, along with definitely Don't Blame Me and Party With The Animals, which we'll get to. So I think this is intriguing. This is the one that differs the most from the demo. It opens with that really iconic little Zach lead with that picking part before it really goes into another rocker. But on the demo, Ozzy sings. What do you think about that? Yeah, I am not as big a fan of the demo of this one at all. I really prefer the studio version big time on this one. And I don't like the title change of Won't Be Coming Home. It's just this mom, I'm coming home and then won't be coming home. I'm just not a big fan of that at all. I don't know where that came from or why they did that. That was strange to me. Yeah, I agree. S.I.N. works much better. Yeah, I was just singing on the intro. Not really a fan of that either. I kind of like this prefer Zach's bluesy playing on the studio cut for the intro for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think this is one track which is way better on the studio version, mainly in Zach Wilde's guitar solos. Zach Wilde doesn't even play a lead at the end of the solo on the demo. And the end solo is one of my favorite Zach Wilde solos as well. And I think that was pretty improvised. Let's look at the song a little bit broken down again, just written by Ozzy, Randy, and Zach. This song is clearly about someone getting hit by a drunk driver and killed. So we kind of go back to another track that's a little bit more of a story, classic Ozzy. The lyrics are much different on the demo as well. So they obviously were rewritten. But again, this demo is two years old. I personally think these lyrics are pretty dark, pretty good. But let me tell you what really shines about this song. Ozzy's got three hooks in the song. You can't say that about a lot of Ozzy songs. You have this, right? The pre-chorus, I can hear him, I can hear him. Someone wake me when it's over. What a hook. Then we go to the whoa, 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 who turned out the lights. Another classic hook, a shadow in the night. Then I can't take this alone. Don't leave me on my own tonight. A third hook. How many songs does Ozzy really do that in, man? That's a rare feat. This, like I said, hooks for days, melodies for days. It looks like Geezer left in October of 90. He's that on timeline it. is, it, it appears that would be probably Geezer Butler. Or, yeah, I'm fairly sure that Geezer's on this demo. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, so many hooks and moments. And and Zach always stood out for me in this one too, man. Again, yeah. this, this playing and, and this is nuances again, like I mentioned earlier. I always found this to be a fun song. This was always when it kind of stood up for me a lot. And that's why now that I hear the, the demo version so much more often, it kind of bothers me a little because I really just much prefer this one. Who turned out the lights? Whoa, whoa shadows in the night. And like I said, it, it kind of shifts and changes so yeah. much. there, And the course of hooks change it. It really is interesting and, and killer songwriting. I think this one is a stand above a lot of the songs on this record for that reason. This song, you have three all equally good hooks. They're all incredible And I think this song is one of Ozzy's most overlooked songs in his catalog. It's got a great driving riff. It's up-tempo, some of Zach's best guitar solos, and some of Ozzy's best melodies, man, with a very dark topic. And again, another song that doesn't have a bridge, 
but we do have the three hooks instead. You mentioned Zach solo being killer, and it is. I love the rhythm behind the solo also in this one. The rhythm is very groovy, and just yeah. and Zach's just flipping, letting it rip over top of it. But the groove Especially makes the, the second solo. solo. The second yeah. one, oh, just yeah. so good. They're playing that "Who Turned Out the Lights" riff. Dun dun. Yeah. Dun dun. Dun dun. Yeah. Yeah. Great Never played live. This one. So this is the first song that we've gotten to that has never been played live. Uh, I lied. Sorry. Mr. Tinker Train's never been played live either. Yeah. But I don't want to change the world. Mama, I'm coming home. Desire, no more tears. All staples in the set during this time. SIN was never played live. Neither was Mr. Tinker Train, which is a shame because I think both of those songs are excellent. And I think SIN would have been a great live song. I could hear that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do love, though, that in this era, he played so many of these tracks live, though. Got to appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he played five songs from this record, which is pretty phenomenal. Again, I think the highlight of this song is clearly Zach Wilde. Both solos are amazing. He does not solo on the demo at the end, which is a big strike against it. And the solo in the middle of the song is completely different. It's not the same solo. Yeah. Matter of fact, every song on this, except maybe Mama, the solos are all just a smidge different, where they all were improved upon, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Every single one. It's shocking. This is demoed. I can't get over how early the demos of this song is. Two years before it came out. Which back then, now two years is nothing. But back right. then, that was, you know, you, you would do two different albums in that time span. So yeah, it's totally different back then. Excellent song. I think very, very underrated. One I visit often. All right. Next up, we have the very controversial Hellraiser, which made my bottom list last week, if you were listening. This one is written by Ozzy, Zach Wilde, and Lemmy Kilmister, written with the same lineup that did Mama, I'm Coming Home. This one was also recorded by Lemmy on their March or Die record after the release of this, so he did record it second. And their version's just a tad bit slower. As we all know, they morphed the two versions. They used Ozzy's music and Ozzy's vocal, and they added Lemmy's vocal in to do that really cool duet, which is actually my preferred version of the song. So this one we think was written probably with the help of Terry Nails, getting that music in and that groove. It's a very different sounding Ozzy song, don't you think? Yeah, a kind of a groove and chant kind of vibe to it. But yeah, and Lemmy's, of course, was made famous by Hellraiser, right? The Hellraiser movies used his uh, his yeah. version of that, I think. So it's kind of a thing, but yeah, yeah that. Terry Nails, that's kind of something we've all kind of learned a lot today about this cat, right? Yeah. I'm like you, though. This has always been a song for me that was near the bottom of, of the No More Tears record for me. I do agree with you that the Ozzy and Lemmy mashup version is by far the best one. I'm so glad they finally did that. And just kind of, you know, let's just end this right now and put these two together and have the ultimate version of this track. And I totally go for that. But I'm like you. The melodies are okay on the chorus and stuff, but it's just, it all feels a little more blah, I think, than the rest of the record does. There's so many, mo- so much more better tracks in this album, but it's still got its great moments also. And, and I'll put a spell on you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which hokey. could be, it, that is a great song, by the way, though. I don't know if you know it's oh, yeah. Jay Hawkins. So I don't know if he was playing an homage to that, but I wish I could see I Lemmy doing so. that, dude. Maybe. Lemmy's a big 1950s rock and roll guy. But yeah, this track, it borderlines on the hokey face, kind of like the Ultimate Sin did some of those records, some of those songs on that record, kind of, you know, that borderline cheesy. I think Hellraiser's kind of yeah. right there, too. I'll be honest. This is one rarity where I'm not overly enthused about the melody. I'm living on the endless road. Yeah, it's just so rock and roll. Yeah, I just don't yeah. like it very well, so, man. Oh, at this part, nerves wound up. 
too damn tight. Damn tight. Like, yeah, 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 that's, that's not good. Yeah, Ozzy, you could do so much better than this, man. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not, I don't feel the song. It's definitely <laughs> hokey. It's got a fine riff. Even the riff just doesn't work that great for me. Uh, lyrically, I don't like it very well at all. I mean, this is definitely my least liked set of lyrics that he's ever done for Ozzy. Again, it's a song about a guy that loves touring and just living on the road and being a hellraiser when he's on stage and being on, you know, on the road. In your mind, real quick, and listeners, just picture the chorus without the lyrics. The chorus is actually really cool. It's amazing that that the melody fell short on that chorus. When you consider, as a songwriter, it's easier to write melodies over open notes than busy riffs. Right, right. And that chorus is so open and beautiful. When you hear it in your head without the vocal on it, it's hard to believe they fell flat on that. Yeah, that's a great point because musically, that is a great chorus, man. Yeah, 100%. musically, the chorus is excellent. Yeah, it's hard to believe that, that, that they that they dropped the ball on that. My favorite part of the song, quite frankly, is probably the pre-chorus. Feeling all right, you know, in the noise and the light. That's what lights my fire. I, yeah. That melody's pretty cool. I'll say another song without a bridge. You know, there's a lot, man, that do not have bridges on this record. I don't think I really picked up on that very much. Uh, Sin didn't either. Now Hellraiser doesn't. We have a lot of songs that just does not have Ozzy vocal bridges on this. And I know that that's a big downfall for No Rest for the Wicked for me, even though it's one of my favorite records of all time. But I didn't realize how much No More Tears kind of follows suit. All right. Next up, we have... Ozzy's second ballad on the record, written by Ozzy Osbourne and Zach Wilde. It is the infectious time after time. Josh, why don't you talk a little bit about how Ozzy wrote the lyrics on this one? What are your initial thoughts on time after time? Not to be confused with like Cindy Lauper, right? <laughs> I hate to tell you, I might prefer the Cindy Lauper version, by the way. No. Yeah, I love that. I've song. always really liked this song, man. I don't know. I love the guitar intro. I, it's one I like to play. It's fun to play, but I just always liked I remember growing up, I liked the guitar part to intro the song. He had the little, the plane, the plane guy in the video. What was it? There's a helicopter or whatever. The little, oh, tattoo. Little, tattoo. Yeah. He yeah. Had tattoo yeah, in the yeah. Video, which I always thought was the most random shit ever. But, and I was, he had the Don Johnson look going on with the suit, the white suits and stuff. But I, I've always liked this song, man. Ozzy. It's kind of well known that he wrote the, mostly the lyrics for this one, kind of heavy handed on it. I like the melodies a lot. I've always found it to be one I like to sing along with on kind of cruising down the road. It comes on the radio when I always kind of catch myself singing to. It kicks in on the chorus. Again, another beautiful guitar solo by Zach. I'm not a big fan of the demo version of this one. I do not like Zach's guitar playing behind his melody on the verses on the demo. I'm not a fan of that at all. But no, I just don't, I don't understand why you hate this one, Dan. Tell us, why do you hate this track? Oh, I don't hate this track at all. No, no, no. You said you hate this track. Tell us. (laughs) I did not. I actually think that the song is a little underappreciated. I think the melodies of the verses in particular, you know, the line after line, time after time parts, that melody is a home run. Let's be honest. And I'll tell you this, if you're listening, folks, some of the best Ozzy harmonies of his career are in this song. They are goose flesh inducing melodies they're incredible he hits a home run zach has those great melodies starting in the second verse but listen to ozzy's harmony i had read an article where zach was talking about how ozzy called him when he was demoing it like on his own and he came up with the melody and he was so hyped and excited about the song because of the melodies and he's, he has a right to be the melodies are incredible let me clear something up i just said this this song clear 
I love Zach's playing behind the melodies on the verses, the subtle playing he does on the studio cut. Right. But if you've heard the demo, people know what I'm talking about. There's like like extended guitar solo moments where he just plays like these leads and stuff that I don't like. I'm not a fan of. And they kind of, the leads then at, at that point mirror the melody and there's no vocal there. And I'm just not a fan of that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not a fan yeah. of that at all. Just want to be clear about that. Again, geezer on the demo. Demoed at the same time as SIN, which is pretty cool. You would think so. Yeah. I'll tell you where this song falls just a tad short to me. And I'm not one of those guys that says, well, it's no mama, I'm coming home. I can, I could be smart enough to look at these as two separate songs. But it's definitely the part where I call the pre-chorus, where he's talking about, I can hear them whispering shadows in the rain. I'm not a big fan of that melody. You know, I think you have that that verse melody, which is a home run, and you're just like, oh my God, this is the gorgeous, such a gorgeous song. Every time that part comes on, even when I first heard it, I was kind of like, eh, I'm not a big fan of it, hmm. honestly. I like that part. Yeah, I think it's definitely yeah. the weakest part of the song. And I'm not overly crazy about how he says you broke me, but it, it's it's a fine Aussie ballad, you know, probably a mid-tier, maybe a lower tier because he's just so good at ballads, but it's definitely a strong song. It's on one of the most iconic albums of all time. It is a great intro by Zach. I agree. It's fun as shit to play. It was a single. I don't dislike the track. I just think there are some things that don't work for me here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty big on this one. I like it. I do think it's about a mid-tier ballad in his catalog because the others are so great. But now I, I definitely enjoy this one. And, and again, a massive step forward from the demo. Massive. And it's the last track we have that is demoed. Nothing else we have is, is has demos. So there's really five, I think, on that one. Uh, again, about a lost love, right? Time after time, you broke me. You know, line after line, you broke me. Day after day, I watched love fade away. So obviously, this is, I think, great lyrics. Let's give Ozzy some props here. I think he did a very, very good job on the lyrics. Line after line was written in your eyes. I guess it's no surprise. I think this one is very introspective, probably talking about how he keeps fucking up with Sharon at this time, you know, coming off the whole arrest and attempted murder thing. I, I think this one, Ozzy's really speaking from the heart. Yeah, no question. All right. Up next, we have the rockin' zombie stomp. It's a very divisive song. You either love it or hate it. Written by Ozzy, Zach, and Randy. That's it. You know, this one is pretty interesting. It's a long song. It's, it's got a two-minute intro, which I kind of like. That bass line by Bob Daisley is absolutely insane it is so good i believe written by terry nails as well but the way bob performs it is out of control it's so i can listen to it over and over again he really nails the part and makes it his own so we got three songs on this record that are really bass driven right no more tears yeah. hellraiser and now zombie stomp i think there's a lot of the b-side don't blame me on this track I hear a lot of similarities, and I think that's why Don't Believe Me ultimately doesn't make the record, personally. Because it's not an inferior song. I just think it has way too much in common. Same DNA as what Zombie Stomp has. I think you are 100% accurate. As a matter of fact, when I hear the bass groove for Zombie Stomp in my head, I kind of hear Zach's guitar. Like in the same vein. It feels like you could literally mash those together and it would be perfectly fine, you know, if they would fit. So, yeah, I think you're 100% on board with that. And, you know, I went on record as saying this is my least liked song on this album, you know, on the shit list episode last week. But still, I do love it also. It's a good groove. The two-minute intro can be a bit much for me sometimes. 
But uh, when I sit back and just let it let it ride, man, I enjoy it. So it's it's a good song. It's fun. You know, there was a, a song in the nineties called "The Watermelon Crawl." It's like a country song, you know. I always kind of pictured the zombie stomp to be Ozzy's. Like that was just a thing in the nineties, man. These funny, goofy songs that really, you know, weren't very seriously just fucking off, having fun, writing stupid lyrics. That's what I think Zombie Stomp kind of is. This uh, a rock version of a goofy song like that. Hats off to Randy Castillo here too. I think this is one of his best tracks. He's doing a lot of cool tom work on this. A lot of rhythmic, very Latin-esque beats on this intro. I think hats off to Randy Castillo. I think he knocks it out of the park. So this is the second song I saw an interview with Ozzy talking about what it was about. No question Ozzy came up with the line, hey, 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 let's do the Zombie Stomp. Ozzy talked about in the interview that this song is about being stoned at a disco. And that's not at all what the song is about, but just kind of funny because, I mean, it's kind of a funny topic if you think about it. You know, that's what he was originally thinking when he wrote, do the zombie stomp is being drunk at, at a dance hall. But the song to me is clearly about the zombie stomp falling into drug addiction and alcohol addiction again. Hmm. I never really thought about it. I don't know that I've ever sat down and just thought about the lyrics of this song and what they mean. I just relate them to Watermelon Crawl and go the fuck on. <laughs> oh my God. So let's I've go never, over them real quick. I, I've never really thought about the lyrics of this song that, that deeply. Okay. I definitely never thought they were about being stoned at a disco. Yeah, that was Ozzy's description. No <laughs> way. I think the verse melodies, by the way, are very Black Sabbath. I don't know why. I kind of sometimes go back to like technical ecstasy era, Ozzy. On that, I don't need no doctor, but I need something to kill the pain melody. It's just so iconic. I think it yeah, really makes the song. It's so yeah. good. It's what elevates the song a little bit more for me is definitely those verse lyrics. So definitely talking about trying to find drugs. I don't need no doctor, but I need something to kill the pain. Don't know what I'm after, but the pressure is driving me insane. Searching for a different ride. Had a funny feeling I can't hide. Do the zombie stomp. Again, cool little pre-chorus there, right? I like the chorus. I like the hey, 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 do the zombie stomp. I think it's catchy. Scratch my head moment again on this one. I'm not a fan of the the monster voice at the end of the chorus. Yeah, I wish that was not there. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I'm like, why? Just it's a catchy (laughs) song, man. You don't need that. It's not the monster mash for Christ's sake. Yeah, the little pre-chorus is is catchy as hell. No doubt. Yeah. Flirting with disaster, morning after killing me again. He's talking about waking up the next day from another drug bender. Hiding from the laughter and the demons dancing around my brain. What a great lyric, man. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, I think this is definitely Ozzy's heavy handed in this one for sure, even though he doesn't know what it's about. Again, another song that really doesn't have a bridge. It's got that breakdown, but another one doesn't have a bridge, man. What do you make of that? Yeah. It's kind of weird because it's like Ozzy's calling card, you know, is these yeah. catchy ass bridges. I mean, going back to like, you know, I don't know, had the awesome iconic bridge and from there forward. And it's kind of weird that this album abandoned that a little bit, but. Yeah, you're right, man. You know, I don't need no doctor. I need something to kill the pain. That is, that is one of those, even though this is one of the lesser known tracks on the album, that line is so iconic. Like everyone yeah. knows that line, you know, it's just such a catchy part. And it's literally the first lyric of the song. It's, it's so cool. Yeah, I love the energy of this song. I actually yeah. think that this is a great album track. Not everything has to be a single. And I think it's great that No More Tears has a deeper cut like that, that takes two minutes to get in where you can really just get into that groove and it's a fun song to work out to. It's got a great energy about it. This one gets played a lot on Ozzy's Boneyard, and I applaud it. I think this is yeah, that's a cool. very underrated track. All right, up next, we have track 10, which is titled AVH, written by Ozzy, Zach, and Randy Castillo again. And Zach, why don't you tell the world what AVH stands for? 
Well, my name is Josh, not Zach. Jesus Christ. But it stands for it stands for <laughs> Ashton Villa Highway. Or as Zach Wild, the real Zach says Austin Village Highway. Because yeah. the story is that they used to razz geezer about being such a big Aston Villa fan football, soccer for us Americans. And that they would razz geezer all the time about having to go watch his Aston Villa. And they would call it Austin Village. Yeah. To piss him off and get under his skin, Ozzy and, and Zach would would fuck with Geezer and call it Austin Village and piss him off. So that's where the lyrics for this title actually came from. So they don't release the demo, but that tells me the song is probably also demoed when Geezer was in the band. When Geezer was in the band, one hundred percent. That was my initial thoughts. Like, well, clearly Geezer's around at, at this period. So this is another strange one for me. It has that really weird opening with the slide guitar? I know Josh is going to razz me. I love, it. Oh, I love it. Terrible. Southern flavor, baby. Awful. I wish that was never on it and I can never hear it. <laughs> not again. It just does not fit an Aussie song. Scratch my head moment again on this record. But overall, it, again, this has got another great groove that I like between the bass and the drums. Again, this was my pick for worst song on the record last week and it will be again this week. There's just something about this song that I think is very vanilla. It doesn't stand out. No lyrics stand out. No music stands out. Guitar solo always stands out. Zach is a god. It's just a very unforgettable, not very memorable track. It's got a nice groove to it. I really don't dislike it. I'm not crazy about that one funky riff. Donk, 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 whatever it is. Jack, uh, Jack fucking <laughs> Josh could probably do it a lot better than I could. He just called me Zach again, didn't he? <laughs> I called you Jack. You called me Jack that yeah, time. Jack. Jesus. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. I'm gracious. losing it. All right, but you don't know, do the riff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what riff you're talking about the way you described it. I don't have a clue what you're talking you about. You know what he's talking about. Of course the, you the, do. The intro riff. Bow, bow, no, bow. no, 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 no. When it's riding on a train that I can't control. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> My worst dislike Zach riff he's ever written. <laughs> but you know what? I bet Zach fucking loved this song when he wrote it, especially because he, he does some of that chicken picking stuff that he likes to do and all this slide, southern slide. I bet Zach was eating it up. Yeah, I'm sure he was. It doesn't belong yeah. in my Aussie personally. Yeah. The most Southern rock you can get is that intro. Yeah, no more tears. You know, that, I mean, too. People want us coming to, home. We, we get messages. It's like, you guys should add clips to the track. And I'm like, but if we added clips to the show, we would lose the moments of me and Dan going. <laughs> but everybody knows what we're talking about here. Which is way better. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like the slow down part. So this one, I think the lyrics are also very vanilla. I'm riding on a train that I can't control. Just, again, yeah. being crazy. This, to me, is if AI wrote an Aussie song, it would be AVH. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It, it, it is. Vanilla is a good word. And, you know, like I said, growing up, I always thought it was alcohol, vans, and hash, which right. lyrically makes sense. I mean, I'm riding on a train I can't control. This the drug addiction. That's kind of I always took it growing up. A another funny story that I was reading where Zach said back in the day, kids would always ask him what it stood for. And he'd tell him Alex Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and, like, and seriously, we wrote the song about Alex Van Halen, like 100%. That's a classic right there. <laughs> Last up is the iconic Road to Nowhere, ballad number three on the record, written by Ozzy, Randy, and Zach. For me personally, I think we end the record on an incredible high note. 
I think this is one of Ozzy's most underrated ballads. This is another one that I can clearly say one of my favorite lyrics of his career. I think Ozzy is very heavy handed in this one lyrically. It's got a lot of great Ozzy lines talking about his past life. I think his melodies are great. Zach Wilde's guitar playing that intro. My God, it gives me chills. The outro gives me chills. This is just an iconic song, and I don't know where I had on the ballot list, but again, it should have been higher. Josh, what was your first impression here of Road to Nowhere? My first impression of Road to Nowhere has always been Zach's late guitar solos, man. The intro, the solo section, the breakdown, the the outro, absolute perfection, man. Again, goes back to, like I said about Mama Coming Home, being able to serve the song. And you can serve the song and shred at the same time. This is a classic case of that. Like He is playing his ass off, but he's not overplaying his ass off. It's so good, man. The very Beatles this, ah, ah, the road. Oh, I got chill bumps. This song has everything you want. Everything you want from an Aussie ballad, man. It's so freaking good. And like you said, the lyrical content about, you know, I was looking back on my life and all the things I've done to me. Just how hard he's always lived, man. He's always lived on the edge. You know, all, all the things he's always done. You know, there's no answer for why you do it, but you continue to do it anyway. I would have to say out of all of Ozzy's lyrics in his career, it doesn't matter if Geezer wrote them, Bob wrote them. I'm not saying they're his the best because obviously there's some classics in there. But for me personally, I don't know if there's an Ozzy song that I relate to as much as Road to Nowhere. Me and Josh talk about this a lot from personal doubt. I suffer from self-confidence, very similar things that Ozzy suffers from, from a young, young age. And it's probably one of the reasons I connect with him so much, but the road to nowhere leads to me is a line that will always stick with me. I remember when I first started dating my wife, we used to do this rock and bowl thing. You'd go at like midnight and they'd shut the lights off and they'd play rock music and they'd have a DJ. It's before rap and hip hop took over everything. And I remember telling the DJ, dedicate the song to me and play it. And he, we did. My wife was like, why the fuck are you dedicating Road to Nowhere to yourself? That's how I felt about myself. Like, I yeah. don't, I wasn't good enough for her. No fucking way. And Ozzy was definitely speaking to me, regardless of the lyrics, but the way he delivers it, the emotion, the vulnerability. This song means the world to me. And I think Ozzy hits a home run. And I'm just, I'm so blown away by a song like this i think it's one of his favorites also i mean not only because it's still in the live set but i think this song hits home with him also and i think it, it touches his own emotions for all the same reasons you just spoke about and you know when he's kind of at the end you know you know you got you got to lean to me and oh. all this and and zach's doing those 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 leads over there it's just such a perfect combination and then even the ending it's just perfect man this this song is so well constructed and such a beautiful song and i feel like this is one that they knew instantly was going to be an all-timer also it just it just has that vibe to it that they knew like this is going to be a big a big track for us and and it's perfect, man. There's nothing you'd change about this one either. No More Tears as a whole is just so... It doesn't really have much filler. I mean, we talk about Zombie Something AVH. They're not that bad. Hellraiser, kind of right there a little bit. But it's so high-ended on the highs, man. The highs are so high. When you look at No More Tears and you look at Road to Nowhere and Mama Coming Home and I Don't Want to Change the World, Mr. Tears, like, God, the highs are so freaking high on this record. They really are, um, man. They were in... A zone, you know, like Zach basically said he had something to prove with No Rest for the Wicked because he was new, young, fresh. And he said when they came time to write No More Tears, he was him, relaxed, confident. And that confidence shows in spades, man. 
just it does. Yeah. One of Ozzy's best outros, honestly. I mean, I love the vocals at the end. What a great pre-chorus. The wreckage of my past keeps haunting me. It just won't leave me alone. Oh, it's just it's everything is so great about this song. And I don't know how it's not even a bigger song because I think this is really almost as good as Mama. Maybe a slidge behind it, but it should be as iconic because I think the performances are fantastic. It might be a little heavier than Mama, which has kept it from getting into that Could next be. stream. You know, because Mama never really gets heavy. Where the song yeah, that heavy course. Yeah, yeah, Mama right. Mama doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the world of this song and hats off to Ozzy, Randy, and Zach who who contributed to it. I personally think this is very heavy-handed in Ozzy lyrics. I agree, and I've I've always felt that way. It just, it sounds too retrospective of him. It just is too it's too close to home. All right, so the two B-sides that were recorded on this session was Don't Blame Me and Party with the Animals, also written by Ozzy, Randy, and Zach. They're all both excellent songs. We're going to dive into that when we do a B-sides episode, but we do want to mention that they were released. It still blows my mind that Party with the Animals was not on this record. Party with the Animals is one of my all-time favorite Ozzy songs. That's how highly I think of it. It is a killer up-tempo rock track. And really, I used to think it wouldn't fit on this record, but after listening this week over and over and over again, I think it would have fit just fine, to be honest, because yeah. of the because of the tempo. It would if the tempo was perfect. And like you said, the album title was almost No Dogs Allowed. Yeah. Which is a line from Party with the Animal. You you go from being a album title to not even being on the record. That's that's definitely an odd transition there. But I'm like you, I think it fits in there. I, I would take it over Hellraiser any day of the week. In, I would take it over most of these songs personally. You know, but I've always thought it had a No Rest for the Wicked feel to it. I've talked about that with you before. It has a No Rest vibe to me. I, I love that also. So it's all good. Now, don't blame me. Another one, you know, I love that song too. I'm not as big on it as you are. Dan kind of takes, he he, he kind of gives me some shit over this one. But <laughs> I, that straight beat of the chorus kind of gets me a little bit. I'm just not a big fan of that. But, Josh um, hates double time. Anytime we go double yeah. time, Josh hates it. And I don't understand it. Don't Blame Me does have two versions, and we will break them down when we do the B-Sides episode, but there is a demo that was released on the 2002 remaster. For some reason, they put the demo on it instead of the John Purdell, Dwayne Barron-produced version that is now on all your streaming sites, and that was on the original single. That's what was the original single release, was the John Purdell, Dwayne Barron-produced one, but they, for some reason, put the demo on the 2002 remaster, which I never understood why. I personally think the demo is far inferior. Josh thinks it's a little better, so we'll have some fun with that on the debate yeah. uh, when we talk B-sides. Overall, great songs. I think this was just a great time for them, and I agree. I think Party with the Animals, it wasn't written for No Rest, but it could have been straight on it, and I think it was one of the first songs written for this record. I think it was. Yeah, it's got that vibe for sure. I remember reading about it very, very early on that this album was going to be called No Dogs Allowed, so I was blown away it wasn't on the record. Another one that Ozzy probably was heavy-handed with, and he, he tends to lean towards those songs. He gets excited about those tracks, so... Yeah, what a great song. What yeah. a great song. We're going to rank the songs 11 to 1. It's going to be a little bit tough, I think. You know, No More Tears is definitely an iconic record, so it's going to be fun to do our ranking. And we're going to start from 11 to 1. Josh, I'll have you start. Am I going to switch it up from last week or, or keep it stock? <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it stock. For me, number 11 is Zombie Stomp. Yeah, my number 11 from last week, and that breaks my heart that you just said that, but my number 11 is still AVH. Well, my number 10 is AVH, so don't worry too much. My number 10 is Hellraiser. And I'll be honest, I almost put that at 11 this week, but I figured I'd be consistent. But they're right there. They're two of my least liked Aussie songs. Yeah. And we're so far on par, though. Number nine for me is Hellraiser. This is where we're going to change a little bit. My number nine is 
time after time. So let me just be perfectly clear here. All of these songs I really love now. From Nine Down, I think Time After Time is excellent. This album's really, really strong. I'm going to have some oddball choices, I'll tell you right now. But this album is incredibly strong. But my number nine is Time After Time. Yeah, it's incredibly strong. and still has those massive highs on top of being incredibly strong, which is crazy. This one's going to blow your mind a little, but my number eight is probably S.I.N. Yeah, but again, strength of the album for sure. This is it's, you know, it's no more tears, man. All right, my number eight is going to blow your mind. My number eight is Desire. That doesn't blow my mind because I know you so well, but it blows the <laughs> listeners' minds, maybe. <laughs> so number seven for me, I'm going to go with Time After Time. Yeah, it's a good place for it. Yeah, it's a great song. It's yeah, just, absolutely. So my number seven is the fun rhythmic zombie stomp. And yes, Josh, I ranked zombie stomp above desire. He did. Just he, just, he just did that, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and time after time for the record. Yeah. And at number six for me will probably be the kind of burned out because of the Grammy. I don't want to change the world. Okay. My number six. Listen, these top five or six songs are iconic, but my number six is also I Don't Want to Change the World, Yeah, which is a lot higher than I thought it was going to be, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, this space we're in right here with this album is freaking amazing. So, all right, number five for me, I go with the similar desire. Okay. My number five is the incredible, very lowly rated by Josh, S-I-N. Number four for me is probably going to be where Mr. Tinker Train chimes in. What a great track, man. I love that song so much, though. Love it. Oh, we're going to have the same top four, I think. My number four is also Mr. Tinker Train. What a great track. So number three for me is the lovely Road to Nowhere. Yeah, same here. Road to Nowhere clearly clocks in at number three. I think it's an iconic song. Very underrated. Just incredible. Love it. Yeah, number three, Road to Nowhere. Not say about it. And number two for me, that leaves, of course, the classic, the iconic, Mama, I'm Coming Home. So I'm going to be perfectly clear here, and this might blow Josh away a little bit. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do one and two. That's how much I love these two songs. And I'll be honest, when I have Mama on, Mama's my favorite song on the record. When I have No right. More Tears on, No More Tears is my favorite song. They are neck and neck. I'm really torn which way to go because I agree. And you never skip either one of them, right? Never, it's like you never, never. you never, you never go and not in the mood for that one. It's never, never. So. On one hand, mama, I'm coming home. Tears me up. It's, it's brilliant. It hits an emotion. No more tears is maybe one of the most iconic, best written metal songs of all time. So it, it's really, really neck and neck today. I'm going to say my number two is mama. I'm coming home. So that leaves with the, with the same number. We had the same top one, two and three, didn't we? And four and four. Oh, there you yeah. go. And that leaves us at number one with the iconic No More Tears. I mean, what a yeah. great fucking Ozzy Osbourne track, man. Like, the perfect Ozzy song. Do you agree with that? I do. I think No More Tears really is the iconic Ozzy track, almost in a way, of the second half of his career. You know, obviously the early, crazy train is, but No More Tears is just so iconic, and everybody loves it. It's great. Well, it's almost like you know, with Black Sabbath, and you're paranoid. Everybody's like, oh, paranoid. But if you're a Sabbath fan, you're more like War Pigs. War Pigs, yeah. Right? If you're an Aussie, it's like, oh, Crazy Train. But if you're really an Aussie, you're like, ah, no more tears. Yeah. Oh, no more <laughs> yeah. tears blows Crazy Train out of the water, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah no question. So it, I, I just don't think there could be another. I, no, that's not true. Mama is right there, man. Mama is, it's such an iconic track and one of the prettiest melodies I've ever heard in a song yeah. ever. 
hats off to these guys that really released one of the most iconic albums of all time. I genuinely rate this pretty low as a record, but uh, his catalog's just too damn good, Josh. I think what happens, though, is the burnout factor on No More Tears is a real thing because he plays these songs live to this day. He still plays a bunch of these tracks live. They get radio play a lot, and I think sometimes all of us let that settle in a little, and you kind of burn out on it. But then when you go back like you did this week and revisit, you remember how fucking great it is. Yeah. Metallica's Black Album is a great example of that, right? When you go back and listen, you're like, oh, I'm so fucking good, you know, but we tend to forget it and move on because we're burned out. And this is definitely Ozzy's burnout record as far as that goes, I think. The last thing I want to say before we finish up, obviously this is also the birth of Ozzy's modern John Lennon-esque look is right during this period. And I think Ozzy never looked healthier in his whole career than he did during the no more tears era but it's definitely the look with the glasses and the long straight hair the ozzy look that i love i love this modern look yeah very in shape he has like six oh, pack and yeah. shit sometimes in some of these pictures you know i mean not to mention all the coke he was on at this period <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah he was in great shape and and vocally in great shape i think the no more tours tour might be his greatest tour ever vocally it just so sounded so good i think 86 through 93 94 I think the first couple of the retirement sucks tour, he sounded incredible on. I yeah. remember walking out early of the, on. Yeah. Yeah. He really did sound great on that. Definitely. All right, guys, chat us up. Let us know. How do you rank no more tears? Where does it rank for you as an album? Where do you rank the songs on it? Is Dan crazier than shit for listing some of the things he listed? Putting zombie stomp is like, what, what did he put zombie stomp again? Fourth best song on the record. No, no, no. Anyway, seventh, baby seven. <laughs> But now, let us know how you feel about it. Let us know what you think. Let us know where these songs rank for you. But in the meantime, Dan, do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, thank you for everything, guys. I know this is a longer episode, so bear with us. But enjoy it. Listen to it in spurts. And Josh has got a weird obsession about my dick. Yeah, these deep dives, man. They kind of they run long, but you know we feel like it's our job to bring you the knowledge, right, Dan? Yes, I mean, Zach. If we don't get out there, who will, right? All right, guys. So until next time, we'll see you all on the other side. Thanks for coming. No, thank you for coming. July. Let me say that again. He- uh, but I've always not sound, you know, if you're homo, let me say skim. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that again. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. And let me kill my. Let me. Bosh, bosh. The light in the window. Bye, bye. The high old Ken. The high old Ken. High old silver. Shattered dreams lay unbroken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't take this alone. Don't leave me on my own tonight. Dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, so dun, good. Dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And I'll put a spell on you. I'm living on the endless road. Nerves wound up too damn Lamp tight. Ah, uh, oh, so good.